Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 153 of the Box Hard Podcast. I am Mr. Joey Coastman, your host. I'm joined by the elusive Mr. Sumra Ayaz. How you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. A lot to talk about, of course. A big fight happening this weekend and a big fight that, of course, happened last weekend. So let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start at the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California, USA. couple fights to mention on this bill. Um, we had friend of the show, Jamel Herring, pick up win number 18 inside 20 fights. Of course, he has two losses as well. It was for the vacant USBA Super Featherweight title. In the other corner, John Moralde, his record 20-1, and one, now 20-2. and two. It ended up being a unanimous decision after 10 rounds. Um, Herring, you know, he dominated really. Um, he took a good shot, actually, in the fifth round. A really big shot that Moralde managed to land. But, you know, he simply overwhelmed him, really. Um, he made him fight. He, you know, Herring made... Moraldi fight and he was setting a high tempo he was going to the body a lot very very aggressive um, game plan that Mr. Herring implemented there and it was such a shame because in the last few seconds I think it was maybe like the last kind of 60 seconds of the entire fight the heads came together and Jamel Herring sustained an accidental um, cut, like I say. It, it, it was a head clash, so a cut happened there for Jamel Herring. Very bad luck for him. A real nice guy, Jamel Herring. And I liked the fact that top rank gave him a real display. I mean, all these Marines were in the house. Obviously, Jamel Herring used to be a Marine before he took boxing seriously. And it was great for him. It really, really was. So a good win there for Jamel Herring, 18-2, and two, like I say. Also on the bill, we had the main event. Um, this one was for the WBC World Super Lightweight title. Jose Carlos Ramirez, 22-0. and 0. He extended that to 23-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Antonio Orozco, who was undefeated 27-0, now 27-1. Orozco was down in the fourth round and the eighth round, but boy, oh boy, did he put up a brave, brave effort. And that really and truly is probably um, Mr. Ramirez's toughest opponent and toughest fight to date. So a bit of a gut check there for him. Um... That's, that's a great win there for Ramirez. Moving over now to Germany at the Friedrich Ebert Hall in Ludwig Schaefen. We have over here Vincent Feigenbutz. He picked up win number 29. He's got two losses. He successfully defended the Global Boxing Union Intercontinental Super Middleweight title against Yusuf Kanguel, who now has a record of 16 and 3 with one draw, a TKO in round 6 there for Feigenbutz. Avni Yildirim topped the bill, though, the former foe and former opponent of Chris Eubank Jr. He picked up win number 21. He's got that sole loss on his resume to Eubank Jr. It was for the WBC International Super Middleweight title. Yildirim managed a majority decision over 12 rounds against Lalenga Mock, former opponent of David Hay. Um, 
Both fighters were were um, deducted a point in the eleventh round for hitting during um, the referee's call of break, and also Lalenga Mock was down in the first round, so a majority decision win over twelve there for Avni Yildirim. Moving over now to another part of Germany at the Stad Hall. Um, one fight to mention over here. This is just a name that I just want the listeners to remember. A guy here called Tom Schwartz. I think he's only about 24 years of age. He moved to 22-0. and um, He's also the WBO Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, so he's world-ranked with a WBO. He actually beat a guy here called Julian Fernandez, who was 11-0. and It was a KO in the second round. Tom Schwartz, a very young German heavyweight and um, perhaps one to watch for the future. He's got a few good wins on his record there. Um, That's it for Germany. Moving over now to Russia. Um, One or two fights to mention over here. We had... uh, Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Dmitry Kudryashov, the Russian hammer, the man that got knocked out of the World Boxing Super Series by the Cuban whose name eludes me at the moment. What was that guy's name, the Cuban guy? Oh, my God, he lost to um, lost to Gassiev. What was that guy's name again? Dortokov? Dortokov, that's it, that's it, that's it. Thank God I've got you here. Yeah, Dmitry Kudryasov, he got back in the ring in Russia in a place called Kamemrovo. Kamemrovo. Kamemorovo, something like that. Kudryashev got the KO in the very first round against Alexandru Jur, who now has a record of 17-2. and Kudryashev once again shows that power there, a knockout in the very first round. His record now 23-2. and Moving over to the T-Mobile Arena now, though, as for the big bill of the weekend. Let's start with the undercard here. We had Roman Gonzalez pick up win number 47. He's got two losses. It was a KO. In the fifth round against Moises Fuentes, who now has a record of 25 and 6 with one draw. Like I say, a fifth round TKO there. The fight itself, I mean, Fuentes got cut early due to a head clash, and that really meant that the fight would end up being quite bloody. Um, I don't think they did too well in the corner, um, stemming the the flow of the blood. But it was a good fight while it lasted, to be honest. I mean, Gonzalez, um, you know, he was brutal. He really was. It was a brutal performance from him. And we always knew that Fuentes was slightly overmatched. In the fifth round, like I say, a very nice right hook finished proceedings. Gonzalez, to his credit, did show a lot of concern when Fuentes was down. Um, You know, Gonzalez, a good fighter, but I'm not too sure how many fights he has left in the tank. This was um, his 49th fight. He was also out of the ring for a year and a week and his last win was two years previous because obviously he lost back-to-back twice against uh, against Saw Rungvisai. So, uh, yeah... Um, not 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 a brilliant spell for Roman Gonzalez. Like I said on last week's show, he's a man that really he he kind of got the the recognition very late on in his career, and then all of a sudden he lost twice, and everyone said he was overrated, which he wasn't. He's just simply um, too small for the weights. Really, he started out at minimum weight, so um, credit to him, a brilliant fighter. But of course, size um, can just conquer any man. It doesn't matter how good you are. Um, also on the bill, we had Jaime Munguia, 31-0 and 0 now. He successfully defended his WBO World Super Welterweight title. In the other corner, Brandon Cook, 20-1. and 1. He was supposed to take on Kel Brook. Kel Brook pulled out with an injury. Then he was supposed to take on Sam Eggington. Sam Eggington pulled out with an injury. And here he was against Munguia. Like I say, a third-round TKO for Munguia. Um... 
you know, Mungia just didn't show any respect for Cook whatsoever. Mungia was the much bigger man. Mungia seemed a few levels above Cook, in all honesty. But Cook, um, you know, he came to give it a go. You've got to, you've got your, you're gonna, you know, you've got to take your hat off to him. Cook was in all sorts of trouble in the very first round. He didn't really know what to do when he was being attacked by Mungia. He didn't really have a great defence at all. Mungia, arguably, in my opinion, by the way, obviously, we're going to talk about this. Uh, at the end of the year, but Mungia, in my opinion, is arguably fighter of the year so far. He's, I, I believe, he's had about five fights in this in this one year, which is crazy. Um, the second round, Cook actually landed a, a couple decent shots himself, but Mungia still won that round clearly. In the last few seconds of that second round, Mungia did really unleash on Cook, and he seemed to be hurting him pretty much whenever he wanted to. Um, very heavy-handed is Mungia, we know that. Mungia did put his man down in that third round very early in the round with a left hook, which was um, a damaging punch, but it was really the big combination before that that really got Cook in trouble. But like I say, finished off with a left hook. And then Cook did actually climb back up to his feet, to his credit, and Mungia Mungia just seemed to pummel him straight after that. And once again, Cook didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to defend himself. And the referee, Tony Weeks, stepped in to save Cook. Very overmatched, but we knew that going in. And, you know, Cook finally does get a big fight. I don't think he got paid that great, though, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, he showed up and he took his licks. But credit to him. Um, moving up the bill once again, we had David Lemieux. He picked up win number 40. He's got four losses. It was a KO in the very first round against Spyco. Sullivan 28 and 3 now a real um, well I can't call it an upset I mean it was expected to happen um, you know in my eyes and also your eyes eyes when we went to the predictions last week but the listeners went for a spike knockout and you know, it just wasn't it wasn't close to happening at all. Um, the fight was over before you knew it. Lemieux really came out firing. He was landing body shots and really working his left hand. He made Spike feel his power early on. And the speed was so clearly with Lemieux. Um, you know, it almost looked like Spike O'Sullivan was a little bit, you know, a little bit gun shy. Um, he didn't really want to throw and he didn't want to trade with Lemieux. He was trying to time stuff, but it wasn't working. Lemieux really looked the much sharper in there and he was simply a level above. And it pains me to say it because I do love Spike and to get stopped in the first round really does look bad. Um, Spike did have one moment where he seemed to momentarily stagger Lemieux with a jab, but with not many seconds left in that round, like I say, Spike threw a lazy jab, which he intended to follow up with a right hook, but Lemieux beat him to the punch and caught him with a powerful short left hook, and down went Sullivan. The referee waved it off after looking into his eyes, which was actually on the blind side of the camera, so quite interesting there, but he did seem very dazed, even after the fight had ended and the bell had gone. O'Sullivan did seem quite dazed, but I heard that Spike got paid more than any other fighter on the whole undercard, and I hope that that is true. I'm just a little bit unsure of where he goes from here. Obviously, a brilliant stage, though, to get on that show to begin with, but a bad way of going out there. First round knockout against Lemieux, and he didn't really land too much himself. I think he probably landed about three shots in that first round. You know, he was he was set to take on the winner of Triple G Canelo. And if he'd have come through that fight, then I believe that there was some kind of contract stipulation where he would get that fight. But, obviously that's not going to happen now. It looks like Lemieux's going to get shoehorned into that one, which I don't think anybody's that interested of seeing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really it for that one there. Um, let's just let's just mention the, 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 the predictions. I went with... Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I went with... 
um, Lemieux to win by knockout. I also went with Mungia to win by knockout. Um, Ayaz, you went with Lemieux by knockout and also Mungia, so we gained two points each there. The listeners went with Mungia by knockout, but Spike by knockout, which obviously didn't happen. So one point for the listeners, two for me, two for you, Ayaz. And now we move on to the big one where we all put a prediction in as well. You went Golovkin on points, Ayaz. We were all split, actually. You went Golovkin on points. The listeners went Golovkin by knockout, and I went with Canelo on points, which meant that I got three out of three right. A hat-trick for me. It doesn't happen too often. Um, let's talk about the fight itself, though. Saul Canelo Alvarez, 50-1 and one with two draws. He's picked up win number 50. He's really matched... Um, Mr. Floyd Mayweather, the, the man that, or the only man to have beaten him, of course, um, well, on paper anyway, let's 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 leave that there, Triple G, I believe, should have inflicted a loss on his resume first time round, and second time round, a lot of people believe he should have inflicted another loss, but it wasn't to be a majority decision in favour of Saul Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin loses his O in what was his 40th professional fight, his record now 38-1 and one with one draw, Canelo's the new WBA Super World Champion and the WBC World Champion, of course. Um, I don't believe he paid the sanctioning fees for the IBO. No, he didn't, actually. So that one is um, is now vacant, the IBO, after I think Golovkin defended it about 17 times, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, I'll throw it over to you first, Ayers. What did you make of the fight? Um, I think it was a very, very good fight. Obviously, um it was com- it was completely different to the first one. Obviously, we saw Canelo was more for if you can see more for aggressive fight at this time. He was landing very very good shots. Um, for the first half of the fight, um, Triple G really didn't do didn't do much. Obviously, Canelo was there, the one the more aggressive one, the landing more cleaner shots, uppercuts. Uh, Golovkin was throwing, but not enough until he got to the later run with the nine, uh, nine ten eleven. And obviously, we, we see Canelo. Uh, he he was at the start, even at the weigh-in line. When he came and pushed uh, Golovkin and he said, yes, how much you want in this fight? But, I mean, Canelo I mean, Canelo boxed very, very well. And then, obviously, Canelo won the fight. And I remember seeing Twitter saying Golovkin won the fight. When I watched the fight, I saw that, uh, in my opinion, I think Canelo won the fight. But I, um, a lot of people say it's a robbery. I don't think it was a robbery. I think Canelo actually won the fight. But I wouldn't mind seeing a number three because I think it's a brilliant fight. I mean, if if not, for me, I think... if. If the fight if number three doesn't happen, I think someone like Triple G, I think he should go fight Billy Joe Saunders, get the WBO belt, and then go after Canelo. Did you actually score the fight round by round, Ayers, or did you just feel that after the fight, Canelo probably did enough? Um, after after the fight, I thought Canelo did enough. Because, I mean, to be fair, Golovkin didn't really throw much in the first half of the fight until towards the later rounds. Okay, fair point. A few a few things that you mentioned there. Um, you know, Golovkin, now that he doesn't have the belts, um, you know, who will want to fight Golovkin now? I think Golovkin is a little bit in no man's land. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders, if I was him, I wouldn't want to fight Golovkin because it's a dangerous fight and there's not too much to gain from it now. I mean, obviously, it'd be a huge fight and it could end up on pay-per-view, so both men would get paid for it, but... I just don't know if he wants to take that risk for no belts. It would have been, you know, a big unification fight. And, you know, Billy Joe Saunders was in there with a real chance of winning that fight. Again, that's if he actually comes through Andrade. Or Andrade, I should call him, because it's not Andrade. Um, Eddie Hearn rubbing off on me there. But no, um, yeah, you know, that that's a tough fight. But, you know, if, if Billy Joe wasn't going to be fighting Andrade, or if he did beat Andrade when he does fight him then... I'd say, okay, you know, that's a big fight that can be made. But with what's gone on now, 
Um, I don't think anyone's going to want to fight Golovkin. No one's going to want to give him a, you know, a, a boost up at all. I think he's in no man's land. Um, if I was Billy Joe, there's nothing to gain from beating him, aside from a little bit of money on pay-per-view. I'm not quite sure how well it would do. It still might do decent numbers, but I'm not quite sure if it's worth the risk. Um, you know, someone like a Charlo, it's a very hard fight for Triple G. It's a very hard fight for Charlo, but there'd be no belt on the line. It'd be some kind of eliminator, which I don't think any man's really interested in. They want to just, you know, jump straight in for these big, big fights with titles on the line. Um, and you mentioned there, I about, you know, a third fight. I think that is Golovkin's only option, but the only thing is, I felt that the first fight between the pair was a clear win for Golovkin. I thought that the second fight was closer than the first one, and I just think with every month that's passing, I think it's going to be more um, in, you know, in Canelo's favour, because Canelo's obviously still... You'd, you'd, you could say he's getting better and better. He put on a brilliant performance here. And um, Golovkin is, you know, he's, he's more and more down the slide every time we see him. He's, he's over the hill, we know that. And he's still an absolutely exceptional fighter. And, you know, he's, he's proven that time and time again. But even this fight here, I could not split the pair. I'm going to talk about the fight itself and the way I saw it in just a moment. But I just think that um, Golovkin's now in no man's land. No one's going to want to fight him. And his only option is Canelo. And Canelo, um, by hook or by crook, he's come off, um, off these two fights with no loss on his resume at all. A very dodgy draw the first time. And now he's, he's managed to actually get the win. So, you know, even him, I don't know why he'd want to do it again unless he believes that Golovkin is getting a little bit worse every time which he is you know I had the first fight around about 7-5 or 8-4 to Golovkin this one I had a draw so um, that goes to show that it wasn't as com- sorry it was more competitive this time around and I think next time um, I think Canelo would get a little bit better and Golovkin would 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 um, deteriorate just a little bit more and I think it would probably be um, a Canelo I'd, I'd certainly have Canelo as the favourite if they did have a third fight. And let's face it, it's not going to be until May of next year. It's a long, long time. Um, I'm not quite sure if I want to see the third fight, really, because I just think it's a foregone conclusion. Even though I don't think Golovkin has lost any of these two, he just, you know, these these fights have been too close for Golovkin to 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 get the win. He needs to do something like a 10-2 or or win every single round and try and shut Canelo out, which he couldn't do in both of these meetings. So I don't see him doing it a third time round. And if it's close, he's not going to get the decision. One thing that I should mention, um, you know, the the pair have had the two fights now, which means that both fights have gone the distance. So six scorecards have been turned in. Only one out of six has had Golovkin winning, which is shocking. And the most lenient judge in this fight, who had it a draw, he actually had it six rounds to two in favor of Canelo after eight rounds. So thank God that in his eyes, he saw Golovkin winning the last four rounds of the fight. And that actually earned Golovkin a draw on his card. I mean, it's just completely bizarre. But the way I saw it, and I saw it very differently from everyone else, there was a lot of people on Twitter at the time. I remember looking at the scores, you know, everyone was scoring it during the fight, and there was a complete, complete array of different scores. And I just knew that no matter what, after about six rounds, people had it all over the place. And I thought, no matter what, this is going to be controversial. People are not going to agree. But I will say it was such a close fight that I don't think anyone can can scream about a robbery. 
Um, I'm not Canelo's biggest fan. I'm a huge fan of Triple G, and I can't help but get a little bit bitter because, you know, Canelo did not deserve a draw the first time around. Everyone knows that. And then this time, he's managed to get a win, and I don't think he deserved a win. I thought it was a draw. Um, so he's been so fortunate, and he's been fortunate a lot of times in his fights, obviously against Eris Landy Lara being one of those times. And it kind of annoys me a little bit. It's like a little bit Danny Garcia-ish, you know. He's He's been gifted so many decisions that I really, you know, I'm a bit bitter towards Garcia now. I like I like it if, if he loses. That's why I wanted Sean Porter to beat him, and he did. And it's just a shame because I think Canelo has been gifted so many decisions now that it's kind of turned me against him a little bit. But the less said, the better on that. Let's talk about the fight just here. I'm going to try to whiz through this round by round as quick as I can. The first round, I I actually had a very, very close round. I felt that both men stood in the center of the ring. Both men were very cautious and very respectful of one another. Um, Golovkin threw more shots, and Canelo probably landed the better shots, but quantity over quality is my style. Um... That's the way I score things, and I felt that Golovkin landed quite a decent amount of jabs as well. I think the jab was key for Golovkin in the first round, so I had it one round to zero in favor of Golovkin. The second round was a brilliant round. Canelo did up the tempo, though, and he definitely won that round. He landed a nice left, I want to call it an upper hook. It was in between an uppercut and a left hook. Um, Golovkin landed a couple of eye-catching shots also, but Alvarez really did make Golovkin look slightly uncomfortable as early as that second round there with the tempo. The third round was a very close round. I think Canelo probably edged it. Both men had their moments, but Canelo was outworking Golovkin. Golovkin was also trying to set everything up with a jab, but by the time you'd think about throwing a hook or a straight right, Canelo would move. Canelo was using his feet just to step to the left or to the right so that Golovkin couldn't set himself. Very smart there from Canelo. In the fourth round, Golovkin seemed to warm into the fight a little bit. He seemed to really um, get his jab working really nicely. He seemed to hit Canelo a little too often for my liking. Nothing telling landed, to be honest, but he was finding the target more and more in that fourth round. Canelo didn't get beaten up or anything, but it was definitely a Golovkin round, so that's 2-2 after four rounds. Uh, the fifth round was a very, very close round. Um... There was argument for it being a 10-10 round. Both men were going at it. And if I really had to give it to someone, then I'd probably give it to Golovkin. In the sixth round, Barry Jones on the commentary gave that round to Golovkin. But I thought Canelo won the round pretty clearly, which which would mean that without any 10-10s, it would be 3-3 after six rounds. But with the 10-10, then, um, then it would be... Well, not to confuse everyone, but then it would be... Canelo up by one point at this point but like I say avoiding 10-10s Golovkin I gave the fifth round so the sixth round I gave to Canelo even though Barry Jones disagreed um, both men did have their moments in that sixth round but I felt that Canelo landed the better and more consistent shots so that's 3-3 three, three after six in the seventh round Alvarez won that round very big um, easily outworking Golovkin and making Golovkin look a little bit tired at that point but in the last 30 seconds Golovkin really took over and finished strongly um, Canelo took the round, like I say, so that would make it 4-3 in favor of Canelo. So tight. Um, in the eighth round, credit to Canelo. Um, 
you know, he'd been pushing Triple G back the whole fight, but in the eighth round, it was the first time where Triple G actually started to back Canelo up. Canelo probably did enough to win the round. It was really, really close. Another argument for a 10-10. Golovkin ended the round very, very well. In the last fight, though, Canelo came on strong, if you remember, towards the end. And um, this time, it was the complete opposite. Triple G um, needed to come on strong here, and he did. In the ninth round, it was the first time Canelo opened his mouth. He was gasping for air. He seemed to be tiring. It was a brilliant round in that ninth round. Another real scrap, another close round. I probably edged that round to Golovkin. Scorecards were all over the place at that point. Um, That was when I really checked out social media. Some people had Canelo dominating massively, though, and others had Golovkin ahead. Some also had it a draw. I had it 5-4 in favor of Canelo after nine rounds. In the tenth round, what an excellent excellent round this was. It was round of the fight bar none. Unbelievable stuff. Golovkin was making Canelo miss a lot. He was taking a lot on the gloves. Much cleaner work was from Golovkin. Definitely his round. It was you know, it was weird because he kind of got like this this um, second win from nowhere. Golovkin was really turning it on strong and it was a high paced round but Golovkin despite looking very tired himself managed to box so cleverly you know, he was, he was making his opponent miss and he was making him pay. Unbelievable round there for Golovkin. That had it 5-5. Five, five. Then, with two rounds to go in the 11th, I, I gave that a massive round to Golovkin. I can't believe he wasn't gassing. He, he actually just, like I say, found this second win. And he was making Canelo miss. He was making him miss wildly. He was making him pay. And he had Canelo hurt for a little while in that 11th round. But a brilliant, brilliant um, fighter Canelo really is. Because he's you know he showed his grit. And I tell you what, he's just phenomenal as well. Um, so that was... That was a massive rank for Golovkin, so 6-5. And then in the 12th round, which I've seen, a lot of people actually gave this round to Golovkin, but I disagree. I thought that Canelo nicked it. It was a brilliant round. It really was a great way to end what had been a fantastic contest. Um, you know, these men both deserved every penny. It was a close round in that 12th round, but I felt that Canelo probably just about edged it. I wrote here that I wouldn't be upset with a draw. Um, I, I thought that it was a draw. Um, like I say, I give so much credit to Golovkin to keep up with the pace late on. Unbelievable. And then, like I say, when the scorecards were read out, um, one judge gave it a draw and the other two judges had it seven rounds to five in favor of Canelo. So more controversy. Although, like I say, I don't think you can scream robbery on a fight that, you know, that they've give it to a guy by, by a, you know, by two rounds. So, uh, seven rounds to five, no real argument with that. I had it six, six. So, uh. You know, one round the judges saw differently, even though those rounds weren't the same rounds. Because when you look at the, you know, the scorecards, someone put a picture of the scorecards that the judges actually had, and you know, it was it was quite surprising to see them disagreeing on many of the rounds, but still having it very similar. Um, so yeah, scorecards were all over the place. Um, you said that you thought Canelo nicked it, eyes, but like I say, after scoring it round by round, I had it six six. It's, it's, it's looking like Canelo will be making his first defence against David Lemieux. Not too excited about that one, to be completely honest. I think Canelo would win that very easily. But that's really it for that big one there. Moving over now to the Holiday Inn in Birmingham, West Midlands, United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here. Frankie Gavin picked up win number 26. He's also got three losses. Um, he, you know, an interesting thing is he weighed in 153 and three quarter pounds, I suppose... You know, that's, it's very, very heavy for Frankie Gavin, but he is fighting at welterweight against Kerman Leharaga next month, 
or the month after. Um, so yeah, Frankie Gavin just had a little bit of a keep busy fight against journeyman Kevin McCauley. But a points win over six rounds, a complete shutout there for Frankie Gavin. Couple little rounds there before he takes on Kerman Laharaga in Spain for the EBU European title. Also on that bill, Cash Alley moved to 13-0, and 0, a KO in the second round against Lee Carter. But that's really it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, of course, there's one last thing to do, and that is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated interim WBC super lightweight champion of the world. It's, of course, Mr. Regis Progre. Regis, welcome back on the show, champ, once again. Good man. Thanks for having me. It's always my pleasure. Um, just to point out to the listeners before we begin, we were trying to get both Regis and Terry Flanagan both on the show at the same time. It was all set up until Terry Flanagan, uh, well, to not mince any words, decided to block me for no apparent reason. So I do apologize to the listeners. And if Terry is listening, then um, you know I hope that we can record something again in the future because I have been a fan of Terry's for a long, long time. I'm not quite sure what I did to warrant being blocked, but we'll leave that there. Um, the show must go on. Regis, we last spoke in June. At that time, you were getting ready to take on Juan Velasco. You did end up fighting him and you ended up stopping him in the eighth round. Please walk us through that fight. Um, I mean, you know, first I, I was kind of, you know, um, why the, you know, why Jose Velasco was a, uh, you know, he was twenty and at the time. He was a good opponent. Um, you know, he was strong and he kept coming and stuff like that. But you know, for me, I, I, I felt like I didn't have a good performance. You know, I, of course, a lot of people said, you know, of course, you got the knockout and you did good and all that stuff. And but you know, for me, I, I didn't do as good as like I should have. Basically, you know, I got hit way too much by somebody like that. Um, he shouldn't have, you know, he shouldn't have really landed a glove on me, and he hit me a lot. You know, it was just kind of, um, I think it was just like a little, um, going into the fight, I was, I think I was kind of, like, kind of nervous, you know, going into the fight, because it was back at home, it was in New Orleans, like, that was, that was like my first big time thing, fighting in New Orleans, and, you know, it was kind of, it really was, it was kind of scary, you know, it was kind of scary doing it. Yeah, I, I came out the ring. I came out and, and walked, and there was so many people out there, and I kind of was nervous, you know. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm glad I got it out the way now because, you know, I'm fighting Terry Flanagan back in, in the same exact place again. So I'm glad I kind of got all that stuff out, all that stuff is finished now. And, you know, but like I said, it was, I mean, it was a real good fight. And um, I think it was, it, was a, it was a real good fight for me before I entered into the tournament. You know, that was – that was the main thing for me to get some rounds in before I entered to the tournament because prior to that fight, you know, through, I, I went the last five fights prior to that fight, I went 10 rounds total, you know, so that's an average of two rounds, you know, a fight, you know, so I know that I needed the rounds, you know, um, but my thing is always, you know, why my saying is, you know, always, you know, why not, why go 12 rounds when I know I can go one or two rounds, I don't get paid for overtime, you know, so, if I can get him out of there early, I'm, if I know I can hurt him, I'm going to hurt him and I'm going to get him out of there early, you know. So um, I'm glad that, you know, I did go those rounds. I need, I felt like I needed those rounds before I entered into the tournament. Um, you know, it's behind me. And, I mean, it was still a good performance. It was a good – it was basically – it was a real good show for the city, for my city in New Orleans. It was a real good show. And, you know, that's the main thing I wanted to have. I wanted to just have a real, real good show. And it happened, and I'm, I'm glad that it happened like that. And Regis, you only managed to knock him down three times. You 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 you're really good at knocking people down four times. What happened? 
I don't know, man. He, you know, I well, you know, they stopped the fight, you know. So um, <laughs> maybe he would say no. He would. I could have knocked him down one more time, but um, you know, one more time. But yeah, they stopped the fight, so that was it. Lucky him. <laughs> but yeah, the winner, of, the winner of that fight, of course, was then going to be entered to the World Boxing Super Series. You won. Um, you flew out to Russia for the draft. Um, yeah, you know, you got your chance to size up all the rest of the guys in the tournament. Were you taken by surprise by any of the, you know, the the other fighters in the tournament that you stood next to? No, not really. Um, I mean, Josh Taylor is, is tall, real tall. You know, he he's tall. Um, Terry. I mean, all of them. You know, they they. I, I think I was probably actually the smallest one in the whole division. You know, um, it's the craziest thing. You, know, I think me and probably Anthony Gidget is like the smallest people in the 140-pound division, you know. But, um, of course, like, I'm, you know, I was the top seed, but I'm the smallest one, you know. So it just it shows you size don't matter, you know. It's it's about the dog in the fight, basically, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, all of them was kind of bigger than me. And, I mean, I was just, you know, we was we was at everything. We was at the thing, and everybody was talking, and everybody was cool and stuff like that. So it was all right, you know. I'm glad I got to meet everybody. Excellent. Now, you chose to take on Britain's Terry Flanagan. Terry was a fantastic fighter at lightweight. Um, you know, he had the longest unbeaten streak in British boxing out of all of the current fighters. However, of course, that came to an end earlier this year when he took on Maurice Hooker. Um, that was Terry Flanagan's only fight at this new weight of 140. Um, you know, it was his first fight at the weight. You're obviously looking to make that two losses in a row for Terry at that weight. Yeah, basically, yeah, definitely, man. You know, um, I mean, you know, I never go in a fight and I never underestimate nobody. That's that's one thing I never do. I never underestimate nobody, but of course, I never think that I can lose at the same time. I go out and I train hard as I can every single day. You know, my training camp's been hard from the start. You know, since I turned pro until now. You know, so it's not like I'm doing extra stuff. I'm doing new stuff. Everything is, you know, I'm always like I said, I'm always training hard. You know, but. Um, I definitely don't see myself losing against um, no, nobody in the tournament, basically. And you chose Terry Flanagan. Um, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Regis, but moments after you chose him, I, I texted you and I said to you, I didn't think you knew too much about Terry Flanagan. And you simply replied, I don't. So my question is, why choose a guy that you didn't know too much about? <laughs> well, I mean, so it was... Basically, it was either Ryan Martin or Terry Flanagan. That was my two choices, you know, because everybody else was already pre-matched, you know. Yeah. So, it was for me, it was either you choose Ryan Martin or you choose Terry Flanagan. For me, the better pick was Terry Flanagan because he has a better resume. You know, Ryan Martin, of course, he's undefeated and he's good, but, you know, he's not proven like Terry Flanagan is, you know. Um, So, my whole thing going into this tournament is to be, I want to be considered the best person in my weight class, you know, and, of course, in every fight, you know, I want to be, you know, I want good fights, you know, and then Terry Flanagan, like I said, he former world champion, you know, you say he had the longest reigning thing in British boxing and at the current time and stuff like that. So um, I knew he, for me, I just knew he was former world champion and that's what I want on my resume. I want, you know, champions, former world champions, undefeated fighters. That's what my resume consists of, you know, um, good fighters. You know, I beat good fighters. I beat, like I said, former world champions. Andango was a unified former world champion, um, you know, and I want I want those type of people on my resume. You know, um, like I said, Ryan Martin, you know, he's good. He's a good, he's a good fighter, but he doesn't have the resume like Terry Flanagan has. So, for me, I want. I'd rather choose somebody with a good resume to where 
you know, it's it's no doubt in in nobody's mind that you know I'm the I'm the best at you know I'm the best 140 pound fighter you know on the planet. And I want to ask you, Regis, has this tournament come at a perfect time for you? Obviously, you're still undefeated. You're fighting for major titles now. You're right up there with the best in your weight class. You're currently on a seven knockout streak. You've scored 11 knockdowns in your last three fights. Hopefully, this tournament can spring you into world stardom. But in your opinion, has this tournament come at the perfect time? Or perhaps should it have come a little bit later on or even perhaps a little bit earlier on? I mean, um, I think it's the perfect time, you know, maybe even before, maybe even earlier, you know. Um, I think it's the perfect time. I mean, this this whole tournament thing is, you know, it's perfect for boxing. I just love it, you know, um, because, you know, like I was saying to people, um, you know, most people fight. In boxing, you fight for two things. You either fight for the belts or you fight for the money. And But in, in this tournament, it's both of them, you know, so it's perfect. I don't see why nobody wouldn't want to enter into this tournament because it's both of them. You know, you got you got these fighters that, um, you know, probably haven't made nowhere close to the amount of money, you know, win, lose, or draw, and they're going to make all this money, you know. So, and then it's two titles on the line, you know. So, I mean, this just, for me, it's just a perfect, this is this is a great thing for boxing. It's a perfect tournament. You know, they have a lot of, you know, um, people with belts. Um, but, you know, but yeah, they got like I said, they got a lot of people with belts and stuff like that. Um, but sometimes the people with belts, they only belt holders. They don't call the, a lot of the public don't call them champions, you know. But with this, it, it won't be no doubt in nobody's mind that who is the best person in the world at that weight division because it's you know it's like I said, it's it's all the best to me. It's like some of the best fighters in the world at the weight. You could have added maybe somebody like Jose Ramirez in it. He could have definitely been in the mix. To, uh, you know, considered one of the best. Um, but like I said, man, I mean, I think this is a, this is a, a, a great, this is great for boxing. It's perfect for boxing. You know, it's a, it's a win-win on every, every side, you know, the fighters, the, you know, the fans, the trainers, everybody, you know, because like I said, it's the money and the titles. It's both of them included in it, you know? So of course, you know, nobody wants to go out and lose, but if you lose, you'll have a big fat check at the end of the day also, you know? So it's nothing, you know, um, I mean, I, I love it. I love it. And I sometimes have to look twice when I see your age, Regis, because honestly, you, you look about 16, but you're actually 29 yeah. years of age. You're, you're actually older than Terry by about five months. Now, Regis, in a pro mm-hmm. ring, you've only gone 80 rounds. Terry has done 190 rounds. Terry has had seven back-to-back WBO world title fights at two different weight classes. Do you identify him as being the more experienced pro out of yourself and him? And also, do you see him as the hardest fight of your career thus far? Yes, they're both of them. I think he he will be the hardest fight of my career so far. And yeah, he's way more experienced than me. And like I said, that's the reason that I picked him because he's more experienced. You know, um, it, I won't I won't be just coming out of the tournament. You know, um, you know, well, come out that with, with him coming out that fight, just beating him. But I come out with experience also. Of course, I definitely think I can beat him. But it's experience. You know, he bring he brings something to the ring that I have I don't think I have seen before. You know, so. Um, I, I want to, you know, definitely, you know, take that experience from, you know, not take the experience from him, but just learn from him in the ring from his experiences, you know, that's, but so, yeah, I think like it's both of them, you know, he has, he definitely has more experience than me, you know, we the same age and stuff, but at the same time, you know, he's way more, I'm, I'm basically experience wise, I'm a baby compared to his experience, you know, so I definitely, um, 
I mean, I'm I'm just in it to challenge, you know. So that's like I said, that's why I picked him because of the experience. Very well said. Now the WBC Diamond title is on the line here. Um, how did that become available, and how amazing would that belt look hanging up on your wall at home, or perhaps in the trophy cabinet next to the rest? Well, you know what? I have it already. I, I'm the WBC Diamond champion now. You know, oh, I, wow. I won it the last fight. Yeah. I didn't that, so the last. Yeah, the last fight that was for the WBC Diamond champion. They haven't oh, made me my right. belt yet. They still supposed to give me my belt, but. But yeah, um, I'm 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 the WBC Diamond Champion. I I think I should be right now. The last fight was for that the Diamond Belt. So yeah, mm-hmm. I already have it. So I guess I'll be defending my title against Terry Flanagan. Oh wow, I never knew that because I uh, I don't know that was a bit confusing for me. I thought that it was vacant for your fight. Maybe not. Then that's great, man. I mean, I'm sure that is going to look good. You know, whether whether you know win, lose or draw in this upcoming fight, when you do get the belt. That'll look nice in the, in, in the house for sure, in the new place. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, you told me the other day, Regis, that you'd be going to to, uh, to Triple G Canelo 2. I know for a fact that on the Friday you were in Fresno because you got into the ring. You had some words with the full WBC champion, Jose Ramirez. Is that even really a fight on your radar at the moment? Because obviously with this tournament, you know, if you were to make it to the final, you'd be tied up until, I'm guessing, at least late 2019. So is he is he really on your radar or is it just you know, a fight for the kind of long term. Yeah, that's a fight for the long term. It can't be, I mean, it definitely can't be on my radar right now because of the tournament, because I, I'm about to fight in the tournament and stuff like that. So um, it can't It can't be the radar. It can't be on my radar right now. I, I would I would love that fight. You know, honestly, I definitely couldn't see him beating me. You know, he he's a good fighter. He's a pressure fighter, but he has a lot of holes. He gets hit a lot. And you can't get hit by me, you know. You that's just something you can't do, you know. You can't take you can't take punches from me. That's one thing. Um, no matter you know who they put in front of me, if I if I'm able to hit them, I'm gonna hurt them. And if I gonna if I'm gonna hurt them, they're not gonna see the twelfth round. I can guarantee you that, you know. But um, but yeah, right now it's it's not a um yeah it's not even it's not on my radar at all. I'm not even you know I'm not I'm not really not even worried about. It. Of course. We'll let it build up, you know. I think, you know, Bob. When I when I first went to New York and I seen his fight against Amir Mine, you know, I asked Bob Arum about the fight and with me and him because I was mandatory for the belt. And you know, Bob said, you know, no, I don't think we should do it right now. Let it marinate. And of course, at first, I was a little, you know, I was a little mad and stuff because I wanted to fight him immediately. But then the tournament thing came up, and um, I I think you know Bob Arum, that's actually a good plan if he keeps winning. And you know, I, I should win this the, this tournament. It'll be a it'll be a huge fight. It it can it'll be one of the biggest fights you know out there next year. You know, but right now, you know, I let him keep you know defending his belt. You know, um, Maurice Hooker and and Salcedo is gonna fight. I I think I picked Salcedo to win that, and then maybe him and Salcedo is gonna fight. And you know, that should be happening around the time you know I'll be almost finishing the tournament and stuff. And then you know, if he still has the belt. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, but right now, yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not worried about. Um, I'm not worried about. You know, him. He's not on my radar right now because it's it's no even. It's not even. Um, it it won't happen. It can't happen right now anyway. So it, you know, we can say all we want on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, they know it's not gonna happen. You know, and and I think he knows. He know. He called my name out after the fight because he knows that. I'm about to fight in the tournament. You know, you, they never said nothing about my name at first, 
until they knew I was I was gonna fight in the tournament, you know. So, like I said, if, if he still has the belt by the time I'm I'm done with the tournament, then yeah, me and him can fight for the belt. Um, if not, then you know I'll have other plans. We'll see. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and did you end up making it to Las Vegas on the Saturday? Did you Did you happen to be there to see the fight? And if so, yeah, yeah, how yeah did I was you, there. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you score it, Regis? If you did score it, who did you feel? You know, win? you know what? I, I mean, I thought Canelo. I'm not a real big into the like scoring numbers wise, but I thought Canelo won. You know, I thought you know if they say he won by two rounds, I I thought the same thing. I thought maybe two or three rounds he beat him. Um, that's how I saw it. You know that. I mean, I think it's the great thing about him because. It's a, it's a good thing and a, it's a bad thing, you know, because they have people that say, I all my friends at home was, you know, they say, man, they robbed Triple G, that's fake. Triple G really won. And I was like, damn, what are y'all looking at? You know, I saw Canelo beat him. You know, I saw Canelo winning. Um, I, I thought, for me, I thought Canelo dominated. You know, he he was in his – for me, you, if, if you look at a, a, a fighter and, you know, you look at who's in their comfort zone, and I felt like Canelo was more in his comfort zone, comfort zone than Triple G. Um, you know, and of course, sometimes that don't mean nothing. It's about who lands the, the the best punches, and I still thought Canelo did that also. I thought, you know, he landed the best punches. Of course, Triple G landed some stuff, but, you know, what happened, like, what Triple G would happen to this big, bad killer that's supposed to be knocking everybody out and come forward and stuff, and he was trying to box, you know, and Canelo was coming forward. For, for most of the time, Canelo was coming forward, you know, so um, that's, I mean, people score effective aggression, and they, you know, um, the judges they might they score effective aggression, they score maybe defense, ring generalship, and I think you know if you look at that that way, I think Canelo won, and I think the judges had it right, you know. So like I said, it's a it's a good thing and a bad thing, um, you know, with with boxing because a lot of people were saying Triple G won, you know, a lot of people were saying no, I thought Triple G won. I still didn't watch it on TV yet, and of course it's always different watching on TV and watching it live in person. So. Um, I don't know, man. It's, um, I guess it could be disputed and stuff, but I had, you know, I had Canelo winning. I thought the judges got it right. Fair enough. Like I say, a lot of opinions all over the board. Now, my final real question for you now, Regis, is how do you win come October 27th in your backyard, a place where whenever you fight there, you put on a dominant performance? Terry Flanagan has never been stopped. Will you be the first man to stop him or will you win on points? How do you have your arm raised? Um, you know what? No matter what, I, I know I'm gonna get my arm raised. I never think, like I said, I never think I would lose. As far as stopping him, I don't know. You know, if it, it depends. If I can hit him flush, which I think I can, I it might I might stop him. I might be able to stop. Him. I don't know how tough he is. I didn't hit him yet. I don't know how tough he is. But you know, if you look at my last fight, when I hit people, I'm gonna hurt him. And if I hurt him, like I said, I'm gonna get him out. I'm gonna stop him. Um, you know. So I think you know. But this this fight, I'm gonna show. I'm going to show different stuff. I've been working on, you know, boxing, being slick. Um, but I know my, my main thing is I love to get in that fight. You know, I, that's that's my main, main thing. I know I love to get in that fight. If I know somebody can't hit me and they can't hurt me, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to fight with them. You know, I don't need to box, you know. So it depends what I, whatever I feel like doing that night. Um, like I always said, is, you know, whatever I feel like doing that night, if I feel like boxing them and I'll do that, I know he, he won't be fast enough to catch me. Um, if I feel like boxing, I know my defense could be real slick and defensive. He won't be able to hit me. If I don't want him to be able to hit me, he won't be able to hit me. Um, but if I feel like he can't hurt me, which, you know, I don't know. I can't say yet, but his record don't say he has a lot of power, you know. So 
you know, we see and people know I have power. You know, my record speaks, you know, power, but it's always different when you're getting there with the uh, with the other fighter. So, um, I don't know. You know, I don't know I don't know, you know, what I'm gonna do right now, you know. Um if I I might box him, I might fight him, I might bang it out with him. You know, we'll see. We'll see whatever I feel like doing. But right now my mind is just focused on, you know, being real slick, um, and being fast because I know I will have the advantage in speed. I know I'll have the advantage in power. His advantage will be experience, you know, but like I said, once you get hit by me, um, you know, I can I can put people I can I can put people lights out with either hand. So that's the thing. So like I said, I don't I don't know yet. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but just right now what I'm working on in camp, you know, I'm just working on being you know, more defensive because I got hit. Like I said, I got hit more than I should have last time. And um, you know, just go out there and box, and I've been doing it beautifully. I mean, I've I've been I spar, I've been sparring and sparring with you know middleweights, you know, dudes that fight at 160, so they're walking around around 180 pounds, and I'm just you know I boxing them, putting out boxing lessons, basically, and I'm hurting them, you know, at the same time. So for me, it depends on what I like. I said, it depends on what I want to do. If you know, if I go out there and and I think that. I want to fight him, and if he hits me, if he hits me with a flush punch early, and he doesn't hurt me, and it doesn't do anything to me, I might just say, you know what, I'm gonna fight it out. You know, I'll go ahead and fight it out. But like I said, right now, I don't know, but I know I'll win. <laughs> Very well said, my friend. And um, yeah, if I, if I haven't asked you something that you perhaps wanted me to ask you, or if there's anything else that you want to get off your chest, take it away, my friend. Say whatever you like just before we let you go. Yeah, I mean, the main thing, I just want everybody to come, you know, definitely watch the fight, you know, um, come to the fight. If you're close to New Orleans uh, in, in the United States, uh, you know, in the South, just come to the fight. Last time we had a real good event, you know, we sold a lot of tickets. I had a lot of big celebrities, big names in the house, in the building, and, you know, that was just a scratch of the surface, you know. So this time it's going to be even bigger, and I just want to encourage everybody to, you know, come out, definitely watch the fight. You know, it's going to be when I fight, it's gonna be an event. You know, I always say that. You know, when when I fight, I want it. I don't want it to just be a boxing match. I want it to be a big time event. So, you know, that's my goal. Um, and and just you know, just have a like I said, just have a nice event. You know, so um, I can't wait. You know, and um, I, I'm I'm ready for Terry Flanagan, and and I'm ready just to you know take him on and stuff like that. I know here. I think I feel like he'll be one of the toughest tests of my career. And I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it, you know. So um, maybe I'll be the first person to stop him. Who knows? I can't say I will be or not. But you know, my my style is, you know, of course I can box, but when I go out, I try to hurt my opponent. And like I said, if I hurt him, most likely I'm gonna keep hurting him, and it's it, the, the fight not gonna go too long. So you know, that's it. That's pretty much it. I am thoroughly looking forward to that fight. I truly am. But listen, Regis, it's always my pleasure having you on the show. You know that, my friend. I wish you the absolute best of luck for the 27th of October, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after. All right, man. Thanks. Cool. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Iaz, it is your time to shine. Tell us the latest boxing news. Yes. um, Joe Kawasaki's father, Enzo Kawasaki, has passed away. Yeah. Um... Yeah, bad way to start part two there. Obviously, a bit, bit of a sad note. Well, a very big sad note there. Um, Enzo Calzaghe, uh, a real legend in the sport, a real hero. Um, you know, obviously, 
you know he's produced his son was was one of the best fighters that Britain has ever had to offer um, Joe Calzaghe of course but his relationship with his father Enzo who was his trainer he was the voice in the corner um, was was something of of uh, I want to say something of perfection really um, you know this 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 pair had such a fantastic bond um, you know Enzo was such a proud man, he was such a proud father, and, you know, he was so proud of what his son achieved in a boxing ring, and he stood by his, his son for, you know, for the whole time, the whole journey, and, um, you know, Enzo trained a couple of other fighters, there's, there's probably too many to mention, really, but Enzo was a, was a good man, I never met the guy, but everyone that had met him always said nice things about him, um, you know, it's, there's there's a lovely video when 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 um, Joe Calzaghe got inducted to the to the boxing hall of fame and and um, and Enzo's there and he's so proud he starts crying on live TV and that is a video that unfortunately it's it's a lovely warm kind of memory to look back on it you know it's it's lovely for anyone out there that's got a brilliant relationship with their son or a brilliant relationship with their father you can relate to it you know and um they they had a brilliant brilliant relationship Enzo and Joe and um you know obviously everything does come to an end and we all die at the end of the day and um it's just one of those things but yeah a brilliant relationship they had and every father and son out there not just in boxing but in in the whole world you know we'd all love that with our with our fathers and sons and uh they had that and um you know may enzo rest in peace brilliant boxing trainer like i say and uh everybody really respected him and loved him dearly alexander usik will defend all of his belts against tony belly on november the 10th yeah i mean we knew this one was coming when usik penned some kind of deal with matchroom sports um Tony Bellew obviously was in training anyway. He's, he's said many, many times, or Eddie Hearns kind of said that Bellew would retire if he didn't get this fight. So he's got the fight. Um, you know, it's not that far away when you think about it. It's less than two months away. So, um, you know, I'm hoping Tony's been really, really training because a lot of people have been saying that when he's been commentating on Sky and stuff, when they've seen him do a little bit of pundit work, that he's looked very big. And obviously he's got to come down to cruiserweight for this one. So... That fact alone is is um, is an advantage to Usyk. Um, Usyk being a, a better all-round fighter is a big advantage. Um, there's just one thing I won't do, and that's write Tony Bell you off, even though I don't think he's got a chance in hell. At the same time, he's got every chance in the world because he has done the unthinkable more than one time now. Um, I didn't give him a chance in either David Hay fight. I didn't give him a chance against Makabu. And, you know, he's he's really upset the apple cart a few times, Tony Bellew. I'm a fan of him. Um, but, yeah, this is... I mean, I just can't see how he's going to win this one. But, you know, he, he he's proved me wrong many, many times. And I certainly wouldn't bet against him. So I'm not going to be getting any money out of my pocket and laying it down on this one. But, um, yeah, you'd have to favour Usyk. You'd have to favour him pretty big, to be honest. And, you know, Bellew's going to retire. Even Eddie Hearn said he's going to probably retire after this, which kind of pointed out to me that maybe he doesn't even have faith in Bellew to win because why would Bellew be 
a champion at cruiserweight with all four of the belts and then just completely retire. I mean, a rematch would be massive, I'd imagine. So, um, yeah, I can't see Bellew winning this fight. I think he's going to probably retire afterwards anyway, so I don't think he's going to have too much shame or too much pride in the fight. So I can actually see um, Usyk probably stopping Bellew late on because I don't think Usyk's going to... Um, respect Bellew too much. I think he's going to probably feel the power and say, do you know what, I can cope with this because even though Bellew is a big puncher, Usyk's been used to taking on proper, proper one-punch KO artists and Bellew I don't think carries as much power as people say. Josh Warrington will defend his IBF belt against Carl Frampton on December the 22nd. Yeah, great, great fight. We knew it was going to be happening. Frank Warren did say that the fight's happening. It was weird because when he announced it after... Um, it was after the Tyson, was it after the Tyson Fury fight, Iaz? Yeah, it was, it was, when Deontay got in the ring, and then, you know, Frank Warren said that Fury Wilder's on, and he also said that Warrington and, and Frampton was on, but it seemed like the Wilder Fury thing was, was a lot more advanced than the Warrington and Frampton fight, but, you know, the way it's gone, they've announced this even sooner, which is kind of weird, because no one's quite sure what's happening about Fury Wilder, despite a press conference being rumoured to be happening in the coming weeks. Um, what I will say is that um, it's, it's a great fight. I, I favour Carl Frampton. Um, you can't take nothing away from Warrington. He he done the unthinkable when he beat Selby, and he really did beat Selby. And to be honest, even though it's going to be on, um, it's going to be on neutral ground, if I'm not mistaken. So that kind of, I think that kind of evens it out a little bit because Josh Warrington, no matter what you think of the man, when he takes on a fighter and he's in that you know, th- that that Leeds area, and he's got those fans behind him, it does do something to him, it really pushes him on, and now that it's going to be, in a, you know, in a neutral venue, there's going to be a lot of Carl Frampton fans there, he's just not going to be in Leeds, he's not going to be completely in his comfort zone, and when it comes down to it, Frampton has got more than than um, Josh Warrington, so it should be a decent fight though, it really will, I don't, I don't think either man um, will be able to stop the other one, but with Warrington's work rate and Carl Frampton um, being as good as what he is, I think that's a brilliant fight. Frampton's got to be completely 100% focused, but I think it's a great fight, but I'd see Frampton winning that one on points. Chris Eubank Jr. will face JJ McDonnell on September 28th on the Callum Smith vs. George Groves uh, fight. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia. Um, I mean, let's have it right here. Chris Eubank Jr., I mean, this is another fight where I feel like he's just dropped down so many levels to take this guy on. I mean, J.J. McDonough, his one big, brilliant, brilliant win was when he knocked out Jake Ball, and that was unbelievable. That really did shock everyone, but, I mean, this is not a brilliant fight. I mean, you know, Chris Eubank, when he lost to Billy Joe Saunders, he went straight in there with Dmitry Chudinov, who was undefeated at the time, and then after that, when he was highly ranked with the WBA, he then took on the likes of Tony Jetta. Fair enough, he fought Spike O'Sullivan, but then he went, after that Spike O'Sullivan fight, he went down and took on Nick Blackwell, and then Tom Doran, and then Reynold Quinlan. Then he went to Arthur Abraham, then obviously he fought Yildirim, and now he's lost to George Groves, who arguably is the best fighter at super middleweight in the world. And then he takes on J.J. McDonough, a man with 16 wins and 4 losses. Um, you know, J.J. McDonough is probably, I'd say, uh, I'd say he's probably not even British level. I mean, he's he's Irish, so, he, you know, he's not going to be fighting for the British title, but I'd say he's not even British level. So, uh, 
you know, I don't know what he gains from that, you know, that at all, aside from it's just another fight for him. Um, it's, it's a bit of a mismatch, really. He's going to knock this guy out. Um, JJ McDonough, to, to his credit, he's only been knocked out once, and it was back in 2010 against a guy who was free and free. And I just think that Eubank's going to knock him out probably within two rounds, honestly. It's, it's not a good fight at all. Um, it's a bit of a waste of time, really, and it's not got me excited at all. It's just it's just going to be easy. It's just the name on the resume, unfortunately. People going to probably want to buy this pay-per-view because of that. You know, There's a lot of people out there who love Eubank Jr. He's probably got a bigger fan base than... Um, certainly than Callum Smith, but I'd say him and him and George Groves. I'm not quite sure who's got the bigger fan base. People love Eubank Jr. He's loved among the casual fans. Um, so yeah, I can imagine them them tuning in for that, and they're not going to get their money's worth in that fight, not at all. Sonny Edwards will face Ryan Farrow on 26th of October. Yeah, that one to take place in Bethnal Green. A fantastic little fight, that, by the way. Sonny Edwards defends his WBO European super flyweight title. Obviously, Ryan Farag, 19-3, and three, a scouser. And um, he's a good fighter. I mean, he's you know one of his losses came to Lee Haskins in 2011. That one was in prize fighter, by the way. So there's no shame in that. Lee Haskins obviously went on to win a world title. His other loss came to a guy called Karim Gwerfi, um, that one was for the EBU European bantamweight title, no shame in that, he got TKO'd in three rounds, but it is what it is, and then his other loss came to Ryan Burnett back in 2016, he went 12 rounds and he lost on points to Ryan Burnett, so, you know, there's no real shame in that either, aside from that, he's beaten a few decent guys, his, his best win by far is against Stefan Jamoy for the EBU European bantamweight title back in 2015, he actually TKO'd him in nine rounds, so that was quite special there. But aside from that, um, he's got a couple of decent names on the on the resume. Jason Booth, um, a couple of others. But yeah, aside from that, I think that, you know, Sonny Edwards is the one here who's taking a massive step up. And if he can beat this guy in style, then it really does make a statement. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that fight. So uh, hopefully I'll be there. And uh, York Hall again. I love the place. That's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start in a place called the Rangsit International Stadium in Thailand. One fighter to mention over here, a man called Tasana Sampatan. His record 47-0. and 0. He's in a six-rounder against Sakchai Ratchjindi, who has a record of 3-6 and six with one draw. So we have here a man with three wins, six losses, and one draw, taking on a guy who's 47-0. and 0. We love you, Thailand. All the very best to Tasana Sampatan. He's trying to beat Mayweather's record. Who isn't from Thailand? Everyone's trying to do it over there. Massive shout out to those guys there. Moving over now, though, to the Brentwood Centre in Essex, United Kingdom. A few prospects to mention on this MTK show here. We have Sammy McNess, 9 and 1. He takes on O'Shane Clark, who has a record of 4 and 1. That's a six rounder there. Danny Dignam takes on Danny Shannon. Danny Dignam, 7 and 0. Danny Shannon, 3 and 6 with one draw. That's a six-rounder there. Um, Dan Aziz is on the bill also. His record 5-0. and That's a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. 
Jake Ball, 11-1. He's in a sixth rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. He's fighting in a few weeks' time against Craig Richards, actually, um, at the Copper Box. So uh, a little bit of a run out for him here. Hopefully he doesn't get cut or anything like that. Um, Jake Ball also, this will be his first fight under Dominic Ingle. Uh, we also have... No, that's really it for that one, to be honest. Uh, moving over now to Germany. We have a fight over here at the MBS Arena. What do we have? We have a guy called Raphael Bajaran, who's got a record of 25-2 and two with one draw. He's the IBF international middleweight champion. He takes on Jack Kulkai, 24-3. Jack Kulkai has moved up to middleweight from, um, from, from super welterweight. So all the very best to Jack Kulkai, former world champion. That's a 12-rounder there. And on the undercard, we have a guy called Sheik Dioyam who has a record of 11-2 with one draw. He takes on Tyrone Zuiga, former world champion that, of course, got stopped by Rocky Fielding and beat our very own Paul Smith. Um, Zuiga's record, 22-1 with one draw. That's an eight-rounder there. Moving over now to Istanbul in Turkey, we have Firat Arslan, a man that I believe is about 47 or 48 years of age. He's still going. He defends his Global Boxing Union World Cruiserweight title. Firat Arslan, 43-8 with two draws in the other corner Africa's Pascal Ndomba his record 23 and 8 with two draws all the very best to Firat Arslan <laughs> moving over now to the Wembley Stadium in London United Kingdom once again let's try to go through this as quick as possible here as I'm going to be at this show it's going to be shown on Sky Sports box office let's start with the undercard we have Sergei Kuzminayas 12 and 0 he takes on David Price 22 and 5 this one a 10 rounder here David Price took the fight at late notice. Sergei Kuzmin is Russian, so those guys that are going to be in the house to support Povetkin, I'm guessing, are probably going to be the same guys cheering for Kuzmin. Everyone wants David Price to win Ayaz, but one thing I tell you about Sergei Kuzmin, he knocked out Joe Joyce in the amateurs in one round. So Kuzmin, to knock Joe Joyce out in the amateurs in one round, I would have him as a massive favour against David Price. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. Um, if I'm going to, um, I think it's a very tough fight for David Price. Obviously, in his last fight, he's got knocked out by um, Alexander Povetkin. Uh, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with uh, Kuzin on uh, by a knockout. Yeah, I have to agree. And the listeners have gone with. Let me just double check here. The listeners. It was actually when I looked at the poll originally. Price for for you know to win by knockout was really big, but over time it's leveled itself out and it's gone the other way now. So the listeners have gone with Kuzmin to win by knockout. So we've all gone Kuzmin by knockout there. Um, we'd love Price to win. I say that every time. We would love Price to win, but you know um, Kuzmin to knock out Joe Joyce, uh, you know, in in one round is quite something. And you know Kuzmin's undefeated as a pro, so you have to give him the favourite. Um, you know, the favourite status, if you like. Also on this bill, we have Matty Askin, 23-3 with one draw. He puts his British cruiserweight title on the line against Lawrence Ocoli. A fantastic fight here, a 12-round contest, Iaz. How do you see this one playing out? Another big fight for it. Let me just say, another big fight for Ocoli. This is three big fights on the spin now for him. Isaac Chamberlain, obviously, he was undefeated. Luke the Duke Watkins, he was undefeated. He took both of their O's, and now he takes on Matty Askin, a very seasoned man at that British domestic level. I think it's a very good fight for Lawrence Ocoli. Obviously, he's, um, he's had a couple of uh, tough fights now. Obviously, them pushing him for uh, match number, pushing him for, 
forward very very quickly. But if I'm gonna go with a win, I'm gonna go with Lawrence Okoli because I think he's the, I think he's got a good punch in him. I think and I think he'll stop him. Okay, a Lawrence Okoli knockout. The listeners are going with Okoli by knockout as well. I tell you what, I'm actually gonna go for an upset win here. I think Matty Askin is going to stop Akoli. Um I know that it's, it's a very unpopular unpopular answer that, but I just think that he's got it in him. And I'll tell you why. I mean, obviously, Lawrence Akoli is coming off of two brilliant, brilliant wins. Luke Duke Watkins, Isaac Chamberlain, brilliant, brilliant wins there, especially that win over Chamberlain. He looked fantastic there. Obviously, we know that Lawrence Okoli is a very big cruiserweight. He stands at six foot five, but Matty Askin, six foot four himself. Um, you know, Askin's been in a few decent fights of late as well. I mean, when you look at Askin's record, 23 wins, three losses, and one draw. Those three losses, one came by knockout. That was to Christoph Glowacki, who went on to be a WBO World Cruiserweight Champion, whose only loss, even to this day, was or is to... Alexander Usyk, so no shame in losing to Glowacki, and it was in the 11th round out of 12, so, um, you know, it was actually quite a close-ish fight, by the way, so, um, you know, you you certainly can't moan about that, and it happened in Poland, so he had to go on the road for that, so no shame in that knockout there to Glowacki. Now, aside from that, he did lose to John Lewis Dickinson back in 2012, that one I'm not quite sure about, I think that's, that's probably the worst loss on his resume, and that was on points over 10 for the, uh, for the, for the English cruiserweight title, but since then, his only other loss came to Oval McKenzie, it was a majority decision over 12 rounds, um, but since that McKenzie, that McKenzie blip, I want to call it, back in 2015, a very, very close fight, um, back in 2015, since then, he hasn't lost, obviously, he's put together a few decent wins of late, he took away Simon Barkley's O, that was in 2016, he took away Tommy McCarthy's O, that was in 2016 also, um, he, he beat McCarthy on points, he took away Craig Kennedy's O, that was by knockout in six rounds and then he beat Stephen Simmons last time out if I'm not mistaken I think that one was at York Hall I'm sure I was there for that one um yes I think I was there for that one that was back in March so he's actually got some good wins himself um so yeah I think that he's he's obviously more seasoned he's obviously more experienced in the pro ranks and I just think that he is gonna pull off the shock I think that Lawrence Okoli is brilliant by the way and I you know he's the one who I guess I want to win because I think that um, when Matty Askin has stepped up, he has been found out a little bit. He's 29 years of years of age. He's not the guy that's um, that's on the way up kind of thing. He, he's still there. He's still steady where he is. But Lawrence Okoli's the Olympian. He's got the amateur background. He's the man that's beating everyone. He's the man that's undefeated. He's the man that's um, I think got a, got a top. 10 or top 15 ranking with with the WBA if I'm not mistaken so he's the man who's firmly on the up and I just think that it's a little bit too soon for a Coley I think that it's a brilliant fight and I applaud him like I say you know if he wins this then he's he's again a fighter that is right up there for winning fighter of the year not on the world stage of course but certainly domestically he'd have to be my my domestic fighter of the year if Akoli was to win this fight here but I just got a feeling that something is going to happen I think I think Matty Askin's going to win by by stoppage we'll have to wait and see but I like to be ballsy with my predictions even though um even though lately I've been quite sensible and I've been winning my predictions so all the very best to everyone with that. Um, 
But yeah, moving up the card once again, Luke Campbell, 18-2, takes on Yvonne Mendy, 40-4 with one draw, a 12-round contest, this one has a rematch, obviously Mendy was the man that put the loss on on Luke Campbell's record, he was the man that took his O, and this is a rematch, both men have gone on and done other things, Mendy's been okay, I don't think he's lost since that fight, and Luke Campbell has lost, but it was to Linares for a world title, so no real shame in that, and it was a real close fight, by the way, who wins the rematch, very hard one to pick. Um, well, I think it's going to be a very, very good fight, I think we're going to see a different Luke Campbell, obviously with his new trainer Shane McGuigan, obviously Shane McGuigan now, um, obviously, he's, uh, he's, got, uh, he's had a couple of world champions. He's got um, Josh Taylor. He's got George Groves. Um, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Luke Campbell. And I think Luke Campbell's going to stop him. Because I think we're going to see a different Luke Campbell with Shane McGuigan. And I think this time, I think Luke Campbell's going to stop him to put on a big performance. Okay, very interesting. Obviously, Mendy, um, since that fight, has gone on to have eight wins back-to-back. Um, Luke Campbell, I believe, has won six fights, and he obviously lost that one that I mentioned to Linares in a very, very close fight. Um, You know, that night, I remember Luke Campbell saying that he shouldn't have been in a ring that night. There was lots and lots of things going on. You know, I never really... Those kind of things don't really wash well with me because you're in a fight. You've got to forget about those stuff there, and you've got to concentrate on the fight. And I know it's easier said than done, but let's remember... In the build-up to the Linares fight, Luke Campbell lost his father, and he still managed to put in a brilliant performance. So, where did he learn that? Because, you know, I don't know what was going on outside of the ring for the first fight here against Mendy, but I know his dad didn't die, and he still managed to, to get dropped in the fight and go on to lose. So, you know, I think it's a very, very, very hard fight to actually call. Um, Yvonne Mendy, the thing about him, I just think that since that fight, I mean, he's he's beaten a couple of decent guys. Let's not lie. Um, since then, he's beat Francesco Patera. That's the uh, the man that's going to be taking on Lewis Ritson. So he beat him and he took his O. That was unanimously very wide on points. But aside from that, when you look at the guys he's fought, they're they're not really on the level of the people that Luke Campbell's fought in the interim period as well. Even Mendy, like I say, one fighter that stands out to me there, Patera. When you look at the fights that. Um, that, that Luke Campbell has fought since that fight. I mean, some of these guys are British guys, so they stand out to me more. But Gary Sykes obviously stopped him in two rounds. Argenis Mendez, Derry Matthews, he stopped him as well. Darlis Perez, he knocked him out. And then Jorge Linares, the biggest one of them all, in a very, very close fight, which he lost a split decision over 12 rounds. So the momentum... I'd say is with Luke Campbell, even though he's had the one fight since that Linares lost back in, um, funny enough, back in the, the um, September 2017 on the 23rd. So this fight's going to be the 22nd of September. So literally almost a year to the day since that loss to Linares. He's back in there. And like I say, the winner of this fight against um, himself and Mendy gets the mandatory position to take on the WBC lightweight champion, Mr. Mikey Garcia. Um, yeah, very tough fight for the winner here. Whoever whoever wins this, in my eyes, would lose pretty clearly to Mikey Garcia. But I'm going to go Luke Campbell on points, Iaz. And the listeners are also agreeing with that. But you've gone Campbell by knockout, so it should be quite interesting. And now the main event, Anthony Joshua, 21-0, 20 of them quick. He takes on Alexander Povetkin, 34-1. This one's for the IBO, IBF. 
WBA Super and WBO World Heavyweight crowns a 12-rounder, of course, as a very, very tough fight. I've said it from the start. This is a much tougher fight than some people initially gave it credit for being. I still stand with that. I think it's a very, very tough fight for Anthony Joshua, this fight, Ayaz. How do you see it? 100%. I have to agree with you. This is a very, very tough fight, obviously. Povetkin is no, is no uh, on-goer. Like, for example, you go knock him out like that very quickly. I think this is a very, very tough I think this is going to be a tougher fight than the Joseph Parker fight, in my opinion. This is where we're going to see Joshua get tested properly. Obviously, Povetkin is a big puncher. Povetkin is dangerous. So, yeah, he went to distance with Klitschko. I think um, a lot of people are writing off uh, Povetkin, but to be fair, I think this is Joshua's very t- big, toughest test. I think this is going to be a tougher test than Vladimir Klitschko. This fight, I'm going to go with Joshua by points. So am I, I'm going with Joshua by points. Not many people agree with that, actually. Um, when you look at Povetkin, like we said there, um, you know, his, his one loss came to Vladimir Klitschko, and, and that was a much better version of Vladimir Klitschko than the one that Joshua fought um, about four years later. Now, Vladimir Klitschko, when he fought him, um, Povetkin went down in round two. Um, I think it was once I think he went down three times in round seven and then that was also the fight where Klitschko was doing a lot of leaning and stuff like that and he actually had a point deducted himself late on in the fight but aside from that I mean he went down a few times but he kept getting up so he's shown a lot of heart there and since that Klitschko fight let's look at this he knocks out Manuel Char he knocks out Carlos Takam. He knocks out Mike Perez. He knocks out Marius Wack. He knocks out Johan Duapas. He goes the distance with Andre Rudenko. He goes the distance and beats Christian Hammer on tw- over 12. And then he knocks out David Price on that undercard of Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker, which was probably the dirtiest knockout I've seen in recent years. Um, so, yeah. I mean, he's he's fought good people back-to-back. So has Anthony Joshua. Let's not take that away from him. He's fought good people as well. But what I will say about Anthony Joshua here, um, when you look at his last three fights, he went 11 rounds with Vladimir Klitschko in a life-and-death fight where I actually had Klitschko up at the time of the stoppage. So that one went late. Obviously, it was a 12-round fight. He went 11 rounds. Then he took on Carlos Takam. It was a bit of a dodgy stoppage. Let's be honest, that was 10 rounds. So he's gone late with Carlos Takam as well. Then he fights Joseph Parker. At no point in the fight does it look like he's going to hurt or or look like he hurt Parker or wobbled him or anything like that. It didn't look like he was going to stop him. He goes 12 rounds. So his last three fights, Anthony Joshua has gone 11 rounds, 10 rounds, and 12 rounds. That's the point what I'm trying to make here. His last three fights have all gone very late. He's taken on a man that's never been knocked out in Povetkin. So for me, I can see Povetkin lasting the distance. Povetkin's very, very dangerous. Um, Anthony Joshua needs to keep the fight long. Povetkin's an absolutely exceptional fighter when when he's up close. On the inside, he's a brilliant fighter. Um, Anthony Joshua, I don't think, is fantastic on the inside. I think, you know, his best work... Well, he is. He, let's, I won't lie. He's, he's very good on the inside, actually. But I think he needs to keep the distance here. I don't think he can afford to trade with Povetkin. Povetkin's a very hard puncher. Very fast as well. He's probably got the edging speed, actually. And he's very good with his timing. Remember, he's got that sensational amateur pedigree. Former Olympic gold medalist, so we've got two Olympic gold medalists here fighting for world titles. I would not be surprised if Povetkin was able to beat Joshua. I wouldn't be surprised if Joshua beats him. Um, I just can't see Joshua knocking him out. And I will say, you know, I mentioned all those guys there that Povetkin beat in good fashion, but let's remember Povetkin was 
under the influence of some kind of illegal stuff. We know that. Um, I don't know for how many fights he was on the juice for, but he was certainly on the juice in the build-up to that Deontay Wilder fight that never ended up coming to fruition. Now, um, so you, you've got to kind of put put a little marker there and say, well, he was on some kind of stuff. Maybe that's why he kept winning these brilliant fights in the fashion he won them in. But you do also have to remember that Pavetkin is 38 years of age, or 39 years of age, actually, and obviously Joshua being 28, so 11-year difference here. Pavetkin, people keep talking about the age factor. I don't know if it's a thing or not. I'm not quite sure, to be honest. We'll have to wait and see. I don't think he's shown any signs of slowing down. And that David Price fight, he took on David Price, who was like... I think David Price is about eight inches taller than him. I think Povetkin's only about six foot two. David Price is, what's he, six foot nine, six foot eight. There was a big, big difference in height there. And David Price kept everything long. And the moment that he wanted to mix it up with him, then obviously he got knocked out, like I say, the most brutal knockout I've seen in recent years. And let's not kid ourselves there. Povetkin won every second of everything in that fight, really. I mean, like I say, Price kept him at bay. And he landed a couple nice jabs here and there. And he landed a long left hook that staggered Povetkin. That's fair enough. But let's not let's not say that, that Povetkin was seconds away from being stopped. He got hit with one shot that wobbled him. And David Price is a big banger. We know that David Price has knocked Joshua down in sparring. So I, I don't want to put too much on his bad performance against Price. Because ultimately he knocked him out brutally. And David Price didn't know what day of the week it was. So this is a tough fight. I think Joshua's definitely the favourite. He's got the momentum as well. I'm not saying that Povetkin doesn't, because he does as well, but everything's in Joshua's favour. He's, he's obviously, you know, in, in Wembley, in London, where he loves to fight. So, um, yeah, I think that Joshua wins, but I don't think he wins by knockout. If he does, it's a huge statement. Um, that's really it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to going there, but that's really it for that one there. Moving over now to a couple of other fights, just to mention before we wrap up the show, we're moving over now to Maryland at the Bowie State University. Friend of the show, Alontis Fox, former opponent of Demetrius Andrade. His record 23-1 and one with one draw. He's in an eight-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. All the very best to Alontis Fox. That show is actually promoted by Evander Holyfield. Who's that again? Um, moving over now to the Whataburger Field in Corpus Christi, Texas, USA. Um, this lady here, I was going to say friend of the show, but she herself isn't really a friend of the show. Her brother, Mario Barrios, has been on the show before. But this lady here, Selena Barrios, her last fight, we actually showed it live on our website, www.boxhardpodcast.com. We streamed it live. We were the exclusive UK broadcaster of her last fight. And I tell you what, talking of brutal knockouts, Pavetkin Price, it wasn't quite on that level because those guys are big heavyweights. This lady here is a lightweight. And I tell you what, she can punch like a super middleweight. Um, Selena Barrios knocked out her opponent brutally on our website. Um, but she takes on a lady here who's also undefeated. Selena Barrios, 4-0. In the other corner, Patricia Juarez, who has a record of 4-0. 10 two-minute rounds here for the NABF female lightweight title. Selena Barrios, a fighter that is not messing around. She goes into fights. She doesn't like to like to let the judges decide her fate. Oh, no, no. She likes to go in there and throw bombs. Very exciting lady fighter. And she has an exceptionally bright future ahead of her. All the very best to Selena Barrios. Hopefully 5-0 this time next week. 
Um, the last thing to mention, it's happening on Monday, actually. Uh, Monday, the 24th of September, we shall mention the result on next week's show. But we have a world title fight happening in Japan at the Takeda Teva Ocean Arena. Shokimura puts his WBO World Flyweight title on the line. His record 17-1 and one with two draws. He's in a 12-rounder against Kosi Tanaka, who's 11-0. People that know about the, uh, you know, the flyweight division know that that is a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. All the very best to both the little men involved there. But that's really it for the preview. And we brought you the first guest. We brought you the review. And Ayaz did the business. He brought you the latest news in boxing. Just before we wrap up part two and end the show, the last thing to do, of course, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that has many roles in boxing. He's a matchmaker, he's a promoter, he's a manager also. It's, of course, Mr. Al Siesta. Al, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much indeed, man. Thank you for having me. How's it going, man? You okay? All good, all good. My pleasure to have you on. Did I leave any of your roles out? Um, when I was saying not really no not really okay maybe advisor but it's not important (laughs) (laughs) okay okay Um, there is there is another big advisor in the business named Dow of course (laughs) so (laughs) firstly Al um, you're Russian by way of Southampton I must admit that sounds pretty random how did you end up in Southampton and of course tell us a little bit about your backstory of how you ended up becoming so involved in boxing Man, I was a musician originally. I kind of stayed musician. You stay musician for to the rest of your life, but I'm kind of professional boxing guy now. So used to be a musician, studied in Southampton University a little bit, dropped out, stayed in England. It wasn't pleasant times in Russia in early 90s, so England was perfect country for me. So I decided to stay here. And um, just took from there, really. Interesting life, recordings, session playing, performing, bands, studios. And then about six years ago, God took me by the scruff of my neck and just chucked me into the boxing game. Literally, I think God wanted me to do boxing because it's just the chain of events was so strange. Few years before, boxing kept following me. I'm a big fan of boxing, but I never thought I'd end up in this profession, you know? I never thought so. Now, now I'm just full-time in boxing 24-7. This is my life. This is the way I provide for my family. And this is the way I think I will continue. And I love boxing. Boxing is everything to me now. Yeah, I was just going to ask you then, were you a boxing fan before you got into it? So it sounds like you were a big one. Huge boxing fan. I remember buying pay-per-views when I just came to this country, 1995, 96 watching various Lennox Lewis's, Ricky Hattons, and so on and so forth. So it was very, very... I was a big boxing fan all the time, you know? So that's that's how I ended up here in Southampton, because Southampton University and also this used to be a very popular music store. Whoever used to do music or used to be in recording music connections, it was like a chain of stores across England, and Southampton had a pretty big branch. I knew the manager. I used to do some piano demonstration there, play instruments, synthesize the thing. And and um, that's it. Just Southampton was the town I came to from Russia and stayed my home. I, I lived in London for a while, but I, I came back to Southampton because it's almost like I love Southampton. <laughs> Funny enough, I know it sounds weird, <laughs> but that's what it is. <laughs> very interesting, very interesting. Now, you're involved with a whole heap of fighters from pretty much every corner of Europe, really, and also um, you've gone over to South Africa with some of your talent as well. How many fighters are you currently involved with, Al? 
man, I'm involved. Uh, you see, the situation is because I'm kind of I'm a soul man of boxing. <laughs> this is a funny thing. The reason I said that to you, I treat fighters very well. I try to communicate with them without any patrony. You know, I don't patronize fighters. I feel, treat them like brothers because they are risking in the ring, not me. I'm just trying to provide the opportunity for them and make money together with them. Obviously, they would make a lion's share and I'll take some percentage for providing the opportunity. So I'm trying to treat them like my brothers, really. And um, I ended up working with lots of fighters. I mean, some of them without contract, but we communicate and collaborate for many years now. And I have around 2,000 fighters in my books. I reckon I match about 60, 70 fighters regularly. And I advise for about 10 dozen fighters. And I manage few fighters. And I promote few now. So the family is very, very big. But I am now trying to reduce the responsibility. And I'm, I'm just basically narrowing my circle of trust to be honest, these days, not because I'm tired or I don't want to work. I think I need to focus now on the on the top of the game at one kind of range and, and journeyman game at the other. So, and obviously everything in between. Just need to systematize and understand financially, commercially, and emotionally where I need to invest my time, you know? And Al, for some of the people out there that may not know some of the guys that, you know, you mentioned there, so many people that you've been involved with now and are still involved with, what are some of the names that people may have heard of that you're currently working with at the moment? If you can real Right. I, I tell you, there are obviously the biggest fighter I have ever worked with and was kind of instrumental in his career in bringing him the success and stardom. It was Myris Bredis, yeah. a Latvian uh, cruiserweight, WBC cruiserweight champion, the only world champion, the only renowned professional boxer in Latvia and on all the Baltics, I'd say, even obviously apart from Mikhail Kessler. But Bredis had a just infamous career, incredibly rapid rise within a year and a half. We went from bottom of the pile really to the just heights of boxing. And then I also was very instrumental in giving the kickstart for the career of the WBA regular champion, welterweight, David Avonisian. Um, I also work closely with people like Najib Mohamedi, Issa Chinev, who is possibly will, will be fighting Richard Comey for the world title. I'd lightweight for the IBF if if Mikey Garcia will vacate. Um, <clears throat> work with you, you know, I mean, I'm just, Dmitry Chudinov is one of the fighters. And just advice for many, you know, really. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten about 10 fighters or not forgotten. Just don't don't spring to my mind quick enough, you know. But but there are there are few. I work with lots of lots of fighters, and I matched few fighters even even for in UK. I mean, I worked a lot with Matchroom Sports. I bring opponents for I don't know Joshua Boazzi or Jake Ball or Felix Cash or Derek Chisora. And people like that. So, I mean, worked a lot. I mean, Matchroom very kind to me and they kind of value my expertise. And I do get some work from them sometimes to bring opponents from abroad um, to test their guys, you know. And I'm very grateful for them for the opportunity. And I'm hoping that the relationship will continue. But overall, I work across Europe. I work with Russians, French, Italians, and done some good championship fights. Johan Condolo a few WBC title fights, IBF, and 
many things. I mean, very busy guy. I mean, well known within the industry, and it's nice. But I think I need to stamp, make a stamp somewhere in new kind of promotional era. I want to get a bit independent. And I said to you earlier, I now I want to differentiate my role and don't want to be master of everything. Like let's say, like jack of all trades, master of none. This is an English saying. So I really want to focus on something more and bring like sponsorship packages and have my own promotion company, hopefully with some sort of television outfit and stuff. So that's what I'm working on. And I'm sure I will will successfully deliver that. It's just, I need to be more focused on this. I just love boxing too much, every single aspect of it, every single shade. And, and I just get spread too thin, you know, if you know what I mean, because I want to be involved in everywhere. I'm very greedy when it comes to sport, not in terms of money, in terms of success and delivery and being involved everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and sure. and and I'm I'm real eager to cover everything I can. I need to have the fights on this undercard or that undercard, or I need to see that show, or I need to have involvement, or I need to help these people. The crazy guy, you know what I mean? Crazy Russian. <laughs> <laughs> no, some, you know of the mean? Guys, some of the guys you mentioned there, you know, we've had on the show. Um, David Avanesian's been on this show before as well. Um, talking about your, your, your upcoming event, Al, it's, it's set for next weekend. It'll be Saturday the 29th in Bracknell. This will be your fourth show in the UK, I believe. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, it's just Bracknell. I tell you why. I mean, first of all, geography. Right next to Bracknell is a funny kind of town. I tell you, right next to Reading, Guildford, Farnborough, Farnham, Basingstoke, you know? So all, and they are knowing, it's like a Surrey, Berkshire in Hampshire, meet in the middle. You see, it's like a, if you would have had a dot that connects all them three counties, that's where Bracknell is. And Bracknell Leisure Centre, notoriously known amongst like British fans, like David Hay used to have fights there like 10 years ago. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, it's just like indication that lots of gyms in that town, a big traveling community around that area. So I feel there's a massive boxing heritage around the area. And I thought, let me revitalize that. Let me remind people that there's lots of boxing in that area. And, you know, I think I've got good feeling. I mean, the ticket setting very well. I am trying to kind of see through and find the essence of who needs to be boxing on my shows because obviously you you work, you learn, you navigate, you keep the essence and you lose the shit and stuff, apologizing for that, you know? So I'm just learning. I'm learning about the fighters, learning about the ethics, about the team's commitment, responsibilities. But overall, geographically, the place is brilliant. I mean, they've got so many gyms. I mean, I remember traveling from Southampton for sparring in that area always because there's too many gyms in there. You can have great sparring sessions. One day you're in Reading, another day you're in Basingstoke, then you're in Guildford, at Johnny Edwards's. So that's why. That's why I chosen Bracknell. And I think I want to really build that area up in terms of good. I mean, I'd love to extend the capacity eventually of the Bracknell Leisure Centre, maybe add some more 500 seats and just go up to 2,000, hopefully, if we'll be successful. And obviously Luther Clay, one of the fighters I manage, who I truly believe is a genuine real talent, is based in Bracknell, you see? That's 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 why Bracknell and Ludumo Lamati, my African uh super bantamweight, well rated and governing bodies and future champion, hopefully, he's now in Bracknell training with Luther. So 
I also want to use Bracknell and that area like my Siesta boxing camp base uh, with my Russian coaches, English coaches, my fitness coaches and my fighters living in that area, having great sparring and it's only 40 minutes drive from me so I can keep my eye on them, you know? It's about 40 minutes drive from me also, actually. <laughs> yeah, where, where are you based? Kingston. Oh, I love Kingston, man. Kingston is a beautiful area. You love I love that right by the relay. Beautiful. But the bill itself, obviously, you've got the heavyweight Nick Webb on the show, um, a popular and exciting fighter. As you say, topping the bill, Luther Clay, a man that, like you said, pretty much, you know, he left his country to chase his dreams. His record currently stands at nine wins and just the one loss, but he's still a young man. He's still a man that's learning on the job. And if anybody wanted to doubt his talent, then he's, you know, he shut a lot of people up by beating the very, very tough Reynold Garrido in his last fight um here he gets in with a guy in the other corner that's never been stopped his opponent here so a good fight yeah good fight definitely and garrido let me tell you that uh, reynold a lovely guy and good fighter but he was too comfortable for luther look i know luther very well i saw him sparring in the hardest russian camps with russian very good amateurs and pros luther doesn't really know still how good he is and I can see it. he's got incredible talent. He's like a really fast car that's driving on the third gear. That's what, that's what it is with Luther. Trust me, if you put a very serious opponent, someone like Josh Kelly even, I tell you now, Josh Kelly would have a nightmare with him in the ring because Luther comes at his best when there's a danger. Whenever he feels like he's comfortable, like say with Ren Garrido, he started to show off a little bit, doing some unnecessary stuff, only because there wasn't any danger. He became comfortable. And comfort, comfort breeds com complacency. And complacency potentially could be detrimental. So uh, he had bollocking after the fight. I said, man, you were showing off. He was too comfortable. You should have done the job. And he knows. He understands. But Luther has loads of talent. And I'm expecting him to be more efficient man this time i mean let's say that i don't want to give away many things which we discussed with training camp and everything but i want him to be an efficient fighter i want him to be like mikey garcia mikey garcia is incredibly efficient fighter tucked in very economical with his movement very intelligent so that's what i want him to be i mean um and i know he's afro-american african fighter obviously i mean like black fighters they've got this finesse about them uh, the way they carry in the ring and Luther is one of those as well. I understand that we're talking Brona, Mayweather in shoulder rolls and all that stuff, you know. But I said to him, ultimately, in pro boxing, the main incentive is put your opponent out as soon as possible without messing around. So that's what we need from him. And I'm hoping another, another interesting fighter, very slick, very quick fighter, super welterweight, George Laporte, sold ridiculous amount of tickets this time uh, he, he went over 250 tickets he sold for this event this time he is fighting eight and no unbeaten polish kid somebody's own must go yeah, yeah, yeah it's i mean so george lampard he's he's five and oh and he's fighting eight and oh kid and they said oh are you sure that we're beating this guy i'm saying of course not but that's the beauty of it <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what listen uh People say maybe I'm a slightly crazy promoter, but listen, this is the fights that you learn. You're never going to be learning beating journeyman every day, deceiving your people, coming to watch you, buying your tickets and watching you, putting people out in round one and two. What is the point of that? Tell me. 
What is the point of that? You need to learn. I don't care about zero on your record. I don't care about, maybe you care, but believe me. I mean, if you're not an Olympian, if you're not in matchroom sports of rank Warren, if you haven't been snapped already, you've got different type of destiny. You've got different type of destiny. And preserving your O is just like, it's like being for sale, you know, like in Europe, all the Croatian fighters or Bosnian or, I don't know, Hungarian fighters, they would build this record 10-0 and 0, and then they go and lose to someone and stuff. And that, that's their idea of earning money from boxing. It doesn't really interest me, and I'm not being selfish. I think guys need to learn. Whoever believes in their destiny as a fighter shouldn't think about preserving their zero. They should think about learning, learning the game, you know, and fight people. Obviously, I will not be putting you with punches and very dangerous guys, but someone like 60-40, I would prefer. I will always match you so you've got 60% of success. And all you need to do is stick to that 60% and deliver, you know? Yeah, and people love that That's type it. of people love that type of matchmaking. But one hundred percent, man. One yeah. fight on the bill that I am very, very, very excited for. Um, it's probably gone under the radar in the grand scheme of things. But Naylor Ball against Camille Sokolowski, lovely. Fight. Correct. I love Correct. that fight. Thank you very much indeed. I can I can hear some boxing connoisseur talking. <laughs> so it's correct, man. Absolutely correct. Sokolowski is very, very tough guy. He's he's a very tough kid. He fought at the top. He fought all David Prices and people like that. So he knows all about punching power and everything. And that's a very, very serious, tough test for Naylor Ball. Please do not be deceived by the negative record of Sokolowski. Sokolowski, you know? Please. And, and that's what it is. Thank you very much for recognizing that. I mean, Ron Date as well will be fighting a Bulgarian guy, 3-0 as well, with all three wins. So that will be very competitive fight, I'm sure. And um, Luther's fight is very tough. George Lampot is very tough. Uh, Naylor Bolt's uh, fight is very tough. And potentially Rohan Date is very tough. There you go. you got four. I've got enough TV, Bill. Do you agree? <laughs> of 50-50 yes. of fights. Even if they're 60-40, in my opinion, it doesn't mean that they are 60-40. People will look at it and they say it's like 50-50s. And that's why I want people to come and enjoy CS the boxing entertainment and really, really, you know, get into that because the support of people and support of fans in that area is very important to me because ultimately I'm doing it all for them. I'm dedicating all my time to seeing my family and working long hours just for someone's entertainment. And someone is the people of area, you know? who I really want to come and enjoy boxing, subscribe to CS the boxing and knowing that next time I have the event, they can just buy the tickets. And I, pro you see the situation is, I tell you, where I'm trying to change the game, where, I'll tell you. Matchroom doing it very well, but a massive brand, they've got very talented family running business and they've got long history and legacy. But when fans buying the tickets, because the promotion company first, and then the fighters that are fighting in the event second, that's how it needs to be. But that comes with trust, knowing that if I buy CS the ticket event, CS the boxing, the guy will put on beautiful fights. Do you understand what I'm saying? Rather than fighters selling the tickets. Because imagine if you're a fighter and you're running around, you're selling your tickets and you sold 100 tickets. Last thing you want is knowing that all your family are going to come, friends and family, watch your fight. That promoter give you some really tough fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because... 
you, you want to be shining. You want to show how good you are. And then this Russian guy, ruthless promoter, saying, oh, you're fighting this kid, like what we had, say, with Paplauskas, with George Lampard. He goes, oh, he's a kickboxing champion, man. Look, he's knocked out people before in England. And I said, trust me, take your 60%, stick to it, be slick, fight, and you're going to win the fight. And you know what? No one believed George going to do it, and he overcame the guy. Same as what I'm saying with Conrad. Conrad is a great fighter, but all George needs to do is be himself in the ring, and then just God will decide, basically. But I'm confident George can do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do such a ruthless move. Not being disrespectful to Conrad Stemkowski, because Conrad Stemkowski is an unbeaten fighter, very strong fighter. But I've got my own thought on how it can go, and it's in Conrad's hands to prove me wrong, you know? Yeah, so one thing that sorry sorry to cut you off there, but George no, it's okay. to, to come through and completely shut out William Warburton is a very tough task. I believe that's a fantastic yeah, learning fight that he's already that's already a, a box he's ticked, so to speak. Correct, correct. You know that William Warburton. If he want listen, if Willie wants to put you out, he can do it. He's that yeah, that good. He's that good. Honestly, lots of people saying, "Oh, I overcame William Warburton. I beat William Warburton." It's only because just Willie wanted you to win. That's all. Don't be deceived. <laughs> it's only because Willie getting paid for you not to get sparked. That's why. <laughs> do you understand? So, please, I mean, because we're Willie in a bad mood, you're going. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, so like, and we all know the game. We all know the game. I mean, I admire Johnny Minnes. You can see some Johnny Minnes are really skillful and stuff, you know. And and just, again, the people chosen different type of line of work in boxing. Some people want to be champion, dreamers and so-called have zero on the record and have some memorabilia and talk to their friends to see how good they are and never take any hard fight in life. And some people just provide for their family, fight four times a month, you know? So everyone is different. But ultimately, CS The Boxing Show on the 29th, I think it should be fairly special. I mean, I'm not getting big-headed and saying that it could be in comparison with some big shows in UK, but local show, definitely worthy to come and watch and get some entertainment worth for the money you know a hundred percent and for those people that um that that you know want to come i i believe that all the ringside seats are sold out now but where can people go to get the other tickets men they can go either on my website csboxing.com or go on my facebook there's a link in book now and it's all self-explanatory or they can give there's a number given where they can call and order the tickets uh by the way i think i oversold it of a ringside now but 400 is sold out i mean i still have some ringsides only because people ask me to keep them and stuff and i i think i only left now with 200 standard tickets which i'm hoping and i'm pretty confident that footfall will be quite big on the day because last event i had we sold loads of tickets on the day and this time with promotion and popularity and in general the seasonal circumstance which is it's now not july it's september end of september people got paid i think we should be sold out if not i don't care i love boxing do you know what i mean so so i want to ask you this when you're when you're planning a show do you just plan Mm -hmm. one show then after that show you plan the next one or is it like you're planning many different shows at the same time in your head kind of thing I'm planning many different shows, but let me tell you this very quickly. And I mean, any promoter hears me, they will confirm that. It's a nightmare. 
The show is a nightmare. And if you don't have enough staff or people helping you, it's close to suicidal mode at times. I mean, I, I hate that word and it's terrible. Please don't take that. But, but it's so, it's a dead end. Sometimes you feel like you don't know where to go and everything. But you know what? I'm comparing, I'm comparing making shows with female pregnancy. I tell you why. When woman heavily pregnant and she's on that table just about to give birth, what does she say? Never again. Never again. I go through this never again. Give birth. Six months later, she wants another baby, correct? Not always. That's, <laughs> that, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the same with boxing. I mean, you go through, I remember doing first shows. I'm thinking, man, what am I, why? Matchmaking is so easy. Management is much easier. Why promotion? But then when you go through this and you, you see the fighters fighting and the lights and the ring announce and people enjoying, you think, I want to do it again. It's a really contagious thing, you know? But I am planning now more and more and more because I think I learned how to do that and I think the success is coming and my overheads and PNL is looking different. It's better and better all the time. And the fighters believing in me as a promoter. And so why not? Of course, I'd like to. Or, or there's a puzzle missing, which I can't announce which one, but I'm sorting that out in order to move to the next level. You know, I want to compete with like Barry McWilkinson, Warrens and stuff. I don't want to mention matching because it's not possible. I mean, everyone needs to stay realistic, aren't they? <laughs> but, 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 but on the UK level, like who is there? Steve Goodwin doing great things, Carl Greaves doing great things, and lots of promoters. So I want to be just on the par with them. Just do good shows, plus bring television. I think I'm only one of five promoters who is televised at the moment. Not in UK, but doesn't matter. I've got good European support. Just trying to be like this, you know, just working and get better get better publicity, uh, better spectrum of spectatorship, and so on and so forth, you know? And Al, many different promoters have got different goals. What would you say is your goal as a promoter? I want to own Channel 5 as a boxing promoter exclusively in the next two years. <laughs> wow, that's a big... That's a big um, yeah, big I'm goal. telling you. That, that, that's what I want. Let me tell you this. I'm telling you, no one better than me to fill that role. You know why? We have Sky, Eddie is a genius, yeah? We have Box Nation with MTK. We've got BT Sports with Frank Warren, one of the best promoters of all times, arguably, and the Hall of Fame, member of Hall of Fame, and um, decades of legacy. We've got Barry McWickens, who is on Channel 5, doing not badly, but his best fighter going to the World Boxing Super Series. You know what? I'm the next man who can deliver. I've got international stable. Not many people have international stable. I'm multilingual as a promoter. I know everyone in this game in Europe, and I can bring some great entertainment. The alternative to top rank in the United States. Let's have top rank alternative in Europe. See, yes, the boxing can deliver that. Wow, that you know? really would be Trust me, I can deliver that. If someone comes behind me, if channel will give me an opportunity, I guarantee I'll deliver that. We can play this interview backwards and we'll see that. We can play it back two years later, honestly. That'll be fantastic. To rub it into my face, you know? That'll be fantastic. And Al, I want to get your uh, your opinion on a couple of other things. Um, I know for a fact that you've not just watched it once. I think you've even watched it twice. What was your What was your opinion of the, of the big fight on the weekend just gone Triple G Canelo? Fantastic question. I'm glad, I'm glad that you asked me. Let me tell you this. When you're fighting a genius like Triple G, 
the formidable unbeaten middleweight, arguably the best pound for pound fighter of our era. You cannot take away his belt via bullshit decision like that. Even if you were a little bit better, that's not good enough for you to take his legacy away. It's not good enough. You need to be much more precise. You need to be better in every aspect, visibly better. So there's no argument on the internet or no argument amongst boxing connoisseurs or no argument in HBO boxing studio between two commentators. One of them thinking it's Golovkin's fight. And no, it has to be out of the question in order for Canelo to win the fight. If people arguing, Golovkin's still a champion. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a challenger, you need to come and dominate the champion in order to take it. Everyone knows that in boxing, you know? And in my opinion, Gennady Golovkin won by two rounds. Canelo was in crisis in the middle, round seven or round eight. And Canelo, that type of guy, I can imagine if he ever going to get stopped, it won't be him dropping on the canvas or anything. He will be like shaking like a big tree and referee will have to jump in because you will not put that beast down. It just will be like not answering you with anything by still standing in front of you and like shaking like on the wind. You know what I mean? That type of guy. He is a very tough, very tough guy. And you know what? Golovkin, Golovkin had him in crisis. Yes, he checked Golovkin's body regularly. And we saw that Golovkin felt it. But it doesn't mean that Canelo won the fight. I thought, I thought Golovkin was a slicker boxer. He was really good backing shots very well, had really nice, successful counters. Man, come on, man is 37 years old. He's 37 years old, still still a champion for me. Yeah, you know? I, I agree, I agree. Um, the, I mean, I had it very close, in, in my honest opinion. I felt that, I, I gave it a draw, but I felt that if I had to give it to someone, then I'd have probably sided with Golovkin. There were quite a few close rounds that could have gone either way. One yeah. really interesting thing was that the judge that gave it a draw, which obviously, when you look at it, he was the judge that was the most lenient in favour of Triple G. Obviously, 114-114, Glenn Feldman. He actually had it eight rounds to... Sorry, not eight rounds. He had it six rounds to two in favour of Canelo after eight rounds. So, in his opinion, Gennady needed to win the next four rounds, which he did, luckily. And that was what yeah. earned him a draw. That is quite bizarre when you think about that. Also, across the two fights, only one judge um, favoured Golovkin out of six different scorecards, which is pretty crazy. But you, you tweeted something about a new way that judging could work to avoid controversial decisions, Al. Um, what would you Yes, think? I did. I, t I tell you what I do. First of all, the technology is there. We've got goal line technology in football, correct? Yes. What I'm trying to say, <laughs> and I said that in a Russian interview once, after Najib Mohamedi was discussing the robe to Fedor Chudinov when I was in yes, the corner. Yes, yes, yes. And what I said about this, I tell you this. Every time Whiter coming up to the ring and, and fighting, first of all, he's risking his life. Yeah, the fighter risking his life. Both fighters risking their life. So it's like basically going on operation table, operating table. You, you leave the destiny of your loved ones, children or your wife or, I don't know, your husband or friends or family members to this guy who's going to be operating with scalpel. What do you require from them? Outstanding professionalism. One mistake could cost you life, yeah? Here, obviously, the allegory of what I'm saying is too strong, but 
The guy's been in the camp for three months, not seeing the family for the sake, sacrificed everything to get the win. And he getting in the ring, winning the fight, risking his life. And when some asshole gives the wrong decision and everything goes down the pan, do you understand what I'm saying? And this is like devastating. People go broken because of that. People just never can recover. They can't, some people can't come back after decisions like that. It takes massive resilience. And it's disgusting. The robbery in boxing is disgusting. So how I think we can put the end to it. First of all, we need to add a television instant replay refereeing, judging. I tell you, there needs to be three televised judges in different parts of the world, one in Russia, one in Japan, one in Canada, for example, assigned pretty uh, randomly at the last minute, and they are scoring by watching TV. So they are scoring by watching the broadcast. They all see the same picture. Let me tell you that. When judge sitting ringside, the, the area that he's spectating the fight, completely opposite to the other judge. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. So, so, they miss, so they miss different shots. So three televised judges, they see exactly from the same perspective. So that's where they, it, they'll be very interested to see how they're going to judge by seeing they're looking at the same picture. So that three judges, the information about their judging need to go to the main center. But we accumulatively, sorry for, I can't even say that word properly. Like, you know, WBC, they got this rule called open scoring. After round four and round eight, they announce the score. So all people in the audience, including the teams, know where they are in terms of the fight. And everyone, everyone, WBA, WBO, IBF, British Boxing, British Boxing Board of Control, lots of people, they're against that. I admire the idea of open scoring because every fighter and the team has the right to know where they are at some particular moment. So if you're behind those scorecards in the round eight, you know what you need to do. And there's no bullshit in falsifying the cards they're doing this wrong scoring and all that stuff. But I would go even more extreme. Give me the score after every round via ring announcer and put that on the scoreboard so we know what's happening in the round. And they need to be accumulatively with three judges ringside and three televised judges. Medium arithmetic will get calculated and put me the score on the table so I know where we are. So we instantly see which judge is an asshole and which judge is completely incompetent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but do you think if they did that, then it would affect the, the, the fighters in the ring, you know, their mentality? So they may start fighting quite reckless and could end up being knocked out themselves because they're getting no. desperate in the fight. No, no. Football. You need to know the score. You need to know the score. One nil, lads, we one nil down. Let's go. Do you know what I mean? You need to know where you are. I mean, there's no... I think it will huh, It will excel boxing, if anything. It will excel boxing. Do you know how many fighters already know that they're going to lose the fight if they will not will not, not, knock opponent now? When you go to United Kingdom or you go to Germany or you go to Denmark or sometimes to United States or even in Russia in my situation, you know what I mean? When you go to the big countries like that where very federations are very powerful and they... I don't want to say that, okay, forget that, that's not for the radio, but you understand what I meant, yeah? So, and, and you know you're never going to get decision. 
You never, listen, do you remember that Ricky Burns against uh, Raymond Beltran? Yeah, I've had Beltran on the Man, show come on, that's that. stupid. That that's stupid. Ricky Burns get just put away. I don't know how he survived. Broken jaw, been sitting on his ass, and it's a draw. And the geezer was so disappointed, Beltran, because he hasn't seen the family for a long time. He's been in the camp for ages. And he was denied the opportunity to become a world champion. Bollocks. But yeah. on the other hand, Sergei Kovalev coming in, stupid piece of matchmaking, demolishing Nathan cleverly. <laughs> Even Terry O'Connor couldn't help. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> just got wiped out. He's got wiped out. And you know what? I was watching and thinking, the matchmaker is an idiot. Every know, everyone knows what Koval, Koval, we call him Koval in Russia, what he's like. He's an assassin, savage. You know what I mean? At the time. And and just cleverly just got sp- That's what I'm trying to say. It, these things like that, the fighter going, oh, I'm risking, I'm taking. And let me tell you that. It will be really helpful. We as a promoters will save loads of money because fighters will stop bugging on the purses. Because when you go abroad and you're fighting, you want to get as much money as possible. You know why? Because you know you can lose your O or you can lose your rating or you can lose your position. And you know you're going to the lion's den and you're probably going to lose if you will not knock the opponent out. Wrong. You need to go and fight and do your best and leave it to the competent people to judge the contest. And we're going to have genuine champion, no bullshit champions. Do you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, believe me, I had enough of that. I see this happening all the time. And I am part of this myself as well, partly, because you need to play the game. There's a rules, you know. And um, whereas I said in my interview to uh, Boxing Social, I said, I just need to shut up. But sometimes it gets to me because I'm a fair man. You know what I mean? I like it to be all hello. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's just not the way forward, man. I mean, Golovkin, Canelo is terrible, man, terrible, you know? Uh, Sergei Kovalev against Adrian Ward, first fight. First fight, yeah. Come on, man. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not really, I mean, there are some fights. Najib Mohamedi against Fedor Trudinov was stupid. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, even Ribrasse against Rocky Fielding. I don't know. I've seen, man, I can call you 500 fights like that, do you know what I mean? Endlessly. One Any fight in Denmark. I saw, one of the worst ones I saw was when Canelo got that, that, that draw card against Mayweather. That was terrible. I mean, man, that was come terrible. on, man. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I know he's a pretty ginger boy and he's very photogenic and he's a great fighter, very talented and stuff. But, man, come on. Yeah. He's just like, that's what I'm saying. Listen, I've seen some contests and I will not mention the commissions. They've been taken off TV. So they can't get bollocking afterwards. Trust me. Yeah. yeah. So, know, but anyway, yeah. I, I typed in corruption and boxing and refereeing and judging, and there's a massive, massive studies. And why are we dedicating so much time to that? Why are we just wasting so much paper and ink to write about this shit? Just change the rule in terms of judging and refereeing. Add three more. We've got television. We've got instant replay. We have everything, man. We're sending people to space, for God's sake. Come on. Yeah. Come in. Yeah. People risking their life. People risking their life. People saying, oh, he waved off too early. Or he should have waved off early. And people, you know what? Every punch you can get, is, this is the difference. One small punch between brain hemorrhage. You know that? Man, honestly, it's a multi-billion industry professional boxing and the worst thing about this is judging and refereeing what's that all about 
Yeah, usually the people that are judging are people that haven't even stepped in a ring. But yeah, we can talk about bad judging all all day long. We we can talk, man. We can talk about it like till next year. But one thing I tell you, judges and referees should not belong to the governing body. It needs to be an independent association of professional boxing judges and referees paid by the different sources, not by the WBC, WBA, IBF, IBO, and WBO. No. No, they need to be this association of the referees and judges that they should serve all governing bodies. So today you work in IBO title fight, and then next week you work WBO, IBF title fight, and you don't get paid by promoters. You see, if you don't get, because when promoters pay you the money, you feel a bit guilty. When you're in London or when you're in Moscow and you're doing the show, you kind of, you ate the meal day before and... You socialize. The promoter is such a nice guy. You saw his family. You saw his fighter, and he was very polite. Subconsciously, psychologically, swayed towards the home fights already. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Man, come on. I, I can I can expand on that, but pointless. <laughs> and coming down <laughs> to the last couple of questions, Al. This weekend, yes. Wembley Stadium, we will see Anthony Joshua fight your countryman Alexander Povetkin. All along, yeah. since this fight's been made, um, I've I've been telling everyone this is a very, very, very difficult fight. Possibly not a 50-50, but Povetkin is certainly not someone that you can overlook. You cannot take the eye off of off of Povetkin and look forward to future, um, you know, unifications and what have you. But how do you see that fight unfolding? Very difficult fight. I can see that fight unfolding like this: Anthony Joshua against uh, Vladimir Klitschko was a 60-45. 60-45. Everyone knew that Joshua has 60% just because he's youthful, his reach is very similar to Klitschko, and Vlad was at the end of his career, at a similar in size, and whoever said 60-40 was right, because it was 60 to Joshua, and Joshua won the fight eventually. People don't remember the drama of the fight. All they're going to see is statistics and results at the end, and it's TKO by Anthony Joshua. In case of Pavetkin against Anthony Joshua, I value this fight at 65-35 towards Anthony Joshua. That's the exactly reason being, got it. yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, the reason, you know what, let me tell you, 65 in probability maths is a very high number. Very high numbers. Sorry, 35. 35 is a very high number. It's basically over 30% which is crazy. I mean, this, they're going to say, man, this is 30% that you're going to, you will not survive. That's a massive chance. Do you agree? <laughs> so, so that's what Joshua goes into there. He's got like 65% to be successful and 35% to be on the canvas or lose the fight. But I still fancy Joshua. I fancy even very early knockout or knockout in round eight. I can't see Joshua winning on points because if that goal, that the longer the fight continues and the more tactical it gets, the more chance Pavetkin has to close the gap and spark him out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you say that you can't see um, Joshua winning on points. I think that's quite an interesting point because obviously, <clears throat> you know, Joshua's last... Uh, well, his last three fights have all gone pretty long. I mean, you mentioned one of them. Klitschko went 11, um, Takam yeah. went 10, and Joseph Parker obviously went the distance. And Povetkin, I mean, you know, he's never been stopped. Obviously, the one loss against a, a much better version of Klitschko than the much one that Joshua fought. Yeah, correct. 
And let yeah. me tell you this. Uh, the, the reason why I'm saying that, Anthony Joshua never dealt with the Russian warrior. Alexander Povetkin is a Russian Vitas, which means like a Russian knight. He's a warrior. He'll be men. He'll be knowing that there's a political situation. There's a little strain between England and Russia. There's a funny thing. There's all this poisoning bullshit going on in media and all these sanctions and so on and so forth. He'll be wanting to prove and set the record straight. It goes well beyond boxing. And everyone knows that. And Anthony Joshua understands he represents Britain and capitalist society. And the cup is still segregation there in the ring. Trust me. Still a segregation there. It's like old good good old days, Soviet red machine playing, I don't know, Italy or German Germany, you know what I mean? Football. So it's that's how it, it's a huge fight. Man, I can't wait to see it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I fancy Joshua, I fancy Stoppage. But if Anthony gonna get sparked, I, I will not be surprised. Yeah, me neither. You know what I mean? I think it's a, yeah, brilliant, brilliant fight. No problem with Best it. fight Joshua will be in. Best yeah. fight Joshua will be in. But you know what? Something tells me subconsciously. Josh is a beast. You know, the other day, the other day, I watched something and 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 he was just so slick moving in the ring. You know what? It's funny because I think I was like on YouTube and I thought, is that Luther Clay? Don't laugh at me, but he, he moved like welterweight. He moved like welterweight. And then, then, then this camera came close. I thought, that's Joshua. He's really slick, really agile. He looks good. He's not. He's not like, not robotic. He looks really good. He's got this natural, really beautiful physique, you know, and and that's why I feel that like he's in a great shape at the moment, you know. Yeah, good fight though. Like I say, very. Um, I'm very pleased with this one. You know, it's uh, best fight. Best fight. Yeah, certainly I agree. And just before I let you go, Al, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners at all? You know, you can say whatever you like. If if perhaps I haven't asked you something, if there's anything you want to say, say whatever you like. Yeah, one thing. Come to Wembley on the 22nd of September. Have a main course. Enjoy yourself, and then come to Bracknell on 29th for the dessert. Yeah, <laughs> very well said. <laughs> I shall do that. I'll be at both <laughs> both nights there. So, uh, okay, man. Something I'm looking forward to. And just just before you go, um, for anybody that's listening that would like to get behind Al and would like to get on board with the Siesta Boxing Takeover, where can people follow you, Al? I know Fantastic. on Twitter, guys, please. Fantastic. Thank underscore... you very much, man. It's Al yes, thank you very much. On Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter, yes, correct, or siestaboxing.com or Facebook, find Siesta Boxing Promotion, give us a like, because we rely on your likes, guys, come on, you help us, you are our backbone, you are our roots, so let's go, let's grow together, yeah? Excellent. Listen, now I'd like to thank you for your time this week. I'd like to wish you the absolute best for your show in Bracknell on the 29th, and we'll certainly catch up sometime soon. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for your time as well, my man. I'm sure we'll speak very soon. God bless you, man. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 153 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated WBC Diamond Champion, Mr. Regis Progray, and the matchmaking manager, advisor, and promoter, Mr. Al Siesta. One thing I enjoyed most about the Al Siesta interview is that he doesn't beat around the bush at all. He tells it how it is. A lot of people need to take note of that inbox in the big 
biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners, for listening once again. The Prediction League currently stands at myself. Now finally catching up. I'm on 55 points, but you, the listeners, and I, as are both tied in the lead on 56 points. Just one point separating us now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm closing in, baby. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your heavyweight weekend, people, and we shall see you all next week.